in bringing good cooking technique to the world, I will take that recipe book a thousand times and over. It's so interesting you say that because I was just talking to a friend who, he's a writer um, in D.C., and his whole thing is collecting artifacts from people. Like, he'll go up to, if it's a chef, if it's a writer he admires, and rather than asking for, like, a photo or a time with them, he'll just ask for a memento, something yeah. from them. He's like, that takeaway to me is more important. Like, he has a pen from mm. um, like <laughs> one of his favorite writers, and I he's like, like I don't need a photo of this person. Yeah, There's millions true. of them on Google, yeah. but, you know, just having that artifact... I, I I absolutely feel that I you know I used to keep ticket stubs for that reason because mm. it was like a tactile thing yeah. of like a concert that I went to, and now it's it's turned a little bit more into like I want to have a specific memory from mm -hmm. that show, but yeah if if I mean I'll, I'd still if somebody threw a drumstick out there I'd still grab it right you know, <laughs> come on now let's be real. yeah I, I guess the photo thing is different for different people because some people are like. They're, they're collectors and mm -hmm. if they get a photo with every chef they ever meet they have to continue doing that because yeah. they're completionists right. I've, the only photos I have with chefs are when the chef has requested a photo yeah. not mm. to say like oh my god it's Charles Awad let me get a photo with I you I mean I feel that way when I brought oh thank you <laughs> well, like when I brought chef Masa that cigar and yeah. he said come back here and take a photo with me yeah. I'm not going to say no to him right. are you kidding and especially because it's you can't take photos. God, that would have been so gangster, though, if you were like, Masa. no photos. I'm like, good. no, I'd rather just, I'll just yeah. take a cigar. Solid, yeah. no. <laughs> or if I told him, sir, no photos at the Hinoki bar, <laughs> which is his rule. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> or what, what if, what if you said, Alexa, stop. We did, st okay, yeah, we had some background music. Yeah, we had a little background music. <laughs> I don't even know, if was it even picking up? It was. Okay, wow, that's kind of fun, actually. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a nice yeah. little, like, background I was digging music. it, yes. It gave people a little feel for our environment, yeah. actually. That's, I think that that background music <laughs> is about the best way to talk about the classic confines yeah. here at the Caraway Club. You can't smell the rich mahogany and the uh, wafting uh, tobacco. But... They can hear the dulcet tones of our voices and <laughs> our guest's voice. And that was the thing is every time I would stop <laughs> to listen to her, I would hear this jazz music in the background, yeah. which great, but you have a fantastic voice. And I'd oh, rather us focus on, on what you're speaking <laughs> of. And then post show, we can, we can go back to our, our soundtrack in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Charles, welcome back to another episode here of Libations for Everyone where we're going to be having six rounds of wines this evening mm. and chatting about six topics as we do. Oh. Uh, what else is new in your world, man? Uh, the newest thing would be uh, this wonderful venue where we record our podcast is now officially partners with um, my creative services company, Pamos Design. hi -yo. Hey! We had already been, or I personally had been, uh, working on curating events for the club, um, recently had some hours open up for marketing, uh, and creative services and Derek and myself discussed, uh, the possibility for us to work together. So currently we're working on onboarding, um, or creating some promotions to onboard some new members at the club level. If you're local, you can feel welcome to reach out to me about that. We're continuing to forge forward with some events, some private dining stuff that we're working on and the social hours have been going really great on Friday nights here. And um, some pretty fun things that uh, Derek's working on for Club Caraway that I can't talk about quite yet. But yeah, so that's a new thing that uh, I'm currently doing. And I'm going to cheers to that. 
Hell yeah. Yeah. Also, what would you say like for maybe a, a business traveler coming through town and wanting to entertain people? Is this a space they should should hit up through you or through the, the website about possibly hosting something here? Yeah, you can just look up Club Caraway, um, ideally on Instagram, read through their webpage and, and all else. But if you're traveling through town and you're not going to have any sort of a comprehensive membership here, uh, come visit Derek and have him size you up for a bespoke suit. That's uh, one of the probably coolest things you can do in this city Hands if down. you're a visitor because he makes fantastic suits. Uh, you can have your hair done in grooming by Chris. Shout out to Christopher. Yeah, and if you're a guest from out of town, we do day passes. We're still working on how that works exactly, the system, but you could acquire a day pass to um, smoke cigars and have yourself a little sipper here as well because you can't really do that anywhere else in the city. I will, I will attest to uh, Christopher. I feel like I didn't give him props enough uh, mm. a few episodes ago, but uh, the haircut that he gave me, I wear hats casually almost every day, kind of just always been a thing that I've done. And uh, I 100% after I got my haircut here, I didn't put a hat on for like five days. I was just really proud of, of the, the style and the cut that he gave me. I thought, it actually looked really good on me. And for somebody who I had casually met a couple times, but we really didn't know each other, it wasn't like he went in with any sort of information about how I'm normally, quote unquote, supposed to look or what I'm looking for. We just had a 10 minute conversation about what I like and what I don't like. And then he did the rest. Nice. And I, I will absolutely swear by, by his services yeah, as well. Nice. He's the best. Yeah. And, uh, and your suits are ridiculous. So yeah, <laughs> Derek knows he's, he's amazing. Uh, but that said, so we're celebrating that. And just, again, uh, this has become our home away from home, and, and yeah. it really is a wonderful place to be. So I can't say enough about how good I just feel walking in. Like, it's like you're treating yourself a little bit, you know? <laughs> and I think, uh, I think we all need to do, going back to our, our celebrate everything hashtag, is uh, just go back in and, and take care of yourself for a night, whatever it may be. Get a trim, get a suit. Yeah. Have, have that scotch. Smoke Just sit on that couch and listen to that stereo. Oh, mm. yeah, that's mm. that's my favorite. <laughs> I love the little wiggle. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> just bounce the shoulders a little bit. That's that that thing makes me so happy. It's <laughs> it's literally my dream sound system sitting upstairs, nice. and I've priced it out while making fog prints on windows more than once, <laughs> and to actually see it like in the wild exactly as designed is it's something else to behold because it's like totally. it hits. Visually, it hits like orally. Everything about it is just—it's awesome. So, shout out to Minneapolis Hi-Fi as well. Yeah. But all of that aside, we have an amazing guest today, and so yes. I feel like you've already heard her voice. We should kick it over to her right now. So, would you be kind enough to introduce yourself to everybody absolutely. out there and let them know a little bit about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me here. This space—I mean, I'm just going to attest one more again <laughs> that it is fantastic. There's, I haven't been to any other space in Minneapolis like this. It is yeah. gorgeous. High praise. Yeah. But my name is Nicole, and I am a furniture designer and an upholsterer. I run my own uh, furniture design company. Amazing. And I do a lot of work in the commercial, hospitality, and residential space. Uh, I just had a collection this year come out with World Market. So it was my first custom collection in stores. Dang. And that was like a dream come true. In-store, online. I think most pieces, with the, with the exception of one design, have sold out already. Wow. Had work on HBO, um, just doing a lot of stuff. I was in D.C. when I first started the business, and so I was working with a lot of hotels down there. And now I've moved to Minneapolis, working with a lot of spaces here, 
And I also am the editor at large for MSP Home and Design Magazine. So I'm in the that intersection of design, culture, um, furniture kind of space. I love I love all of that. Yes. Can I pull at that thread a little bit? Of like, course. Can I ask how did how did you get into that? Yeah. Um, my background was in photography. I was a photo editor for about ten years, wow. and I was in kind of bouncing around between D.C. I was in Baltimore briefly. I was in New York, and I was starting out in newspapers. I worked with the Washington Post for about, gosh, two or three years, and having come from magazines in New York to a newspaper in D.C., like one of the legacy papers. Yeah. It was a complete culture shift. I don't know how I didn't take up, you know, drinking coffee because I still don't. <laughs> but like the the pressure of that job really, it just molds you in a different kind of capacity for looking at imagery, explaining it, being able to vouch for it, um, package it, share it, you know, with, with the masses. And I feel like so much of that prepped me for upholstery work. I have been doing photo editing for about 10 years or so. My last job was with Netflix. Mm. I had moved to California and thought that's what I wanted to do long term. And it really just hit me maybe four months into that job that this wasn't the beat for me. I was mm. burnt out on working kind of behind screens. And I really wanted to do something tactile, something with my hands. I always loved textiles. I always loved design. And so I quit that job, moved back to D.C., didn't have a single client I had a website, I had my sketches, and I just started finding clients, basically. My first, my second client, actually, was one of my major um, hospitality clients, the Lion Hotel, wow. which was wild to me, <laughs> like going from, you know, one career, starting a new one, yeah. not having, I had been doing upholstery, but it was really in the background. Like, I'd be up, you know, at three o'clock in the morning on Craigslist looking for chairs and stuff and yeah. <laughs> waiting to have, you know, schedule my emails to the, the seller around seven so they didn't see the time stamp of like 314. Yeah. The person is asking about a, you know, freaking lounge chair or whatever it was. Yeah. But, um... <laughs> I just, I built up so much of, uh, it was all self-taught, you know, YouTube University. Wow. I was on YouTube all the time, lots of trial and error, and just had a lot of really great people who trusted me, who continued to, you know, spread the word about my name, because I didn't do any advertising, any publicity. I didn't have the budget for any of that shit. That's amazing. So it, it just really grew like a grassroots kind of effort. Did you, were you also just out like fabric hunting or were you working yeah. with like printmakers and ordering stuff or? I was working, mostly it was like on the ground, going to fabric stores, going to furniture stores. Wow. Um, I had some friends who were textile um, makers and pattern makers, but that was sort of a few years after I really got into upholstery. Sure. So it was just me going around to any shop that I could find and mixing and matching textiles in a really fun way. And then other um, textile companies started noticing and they would just reach out and say, hey, do you want a partner? We're happy to send you some samples. And that blew my mind. I was like, you get free fabric? What? <laughs> so it just, it really exploded from there. And now I'm in the process of trying to create my own textiles, design my own. And that's a whole oh, right. other, you know, kind of field and wow. sort of part of your brain. Also, close circuit to any spirit manufacturers out there, any distillers. If you would like to send libations for anywhere, for everyone, any samples that you'd like, we would <laughs> gladly take any samples if you want us to, to give us your, want, want our thoughts on whatever your spirit may be. I know you're saying this jokingly, but it'll But actually, also for real. It'll happen. Because exactly. We've been offered yep. samples. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've had a lot. I'm just saying if anybody yeah. wants to give us more. 
I'm always here for more. Please send us the booze. We're all just trying to learn. (laughs) It's educational. Okay. (laughs) Now, like I am, I am uh, admittedly, I have a vested interest in, in what you do. And I was so excited that you were going to be on the show. So my, uh, my wife is in interior design and uh, she also kind of stumbled into it accidentally. Uh, She had gone back to school, got a job or got a degree in, in project management and has continued to push that. And was working for a company that did um, like uh, sound and lighting for companies, uh, everything from acoustic panels to actual full systems for um, like oh, conferencing wow. and all that. And it just wasn't like it was more my love than it was her love. Like I was so <laughs> excited about all the gear, yeah. but that wasn't anything that she was passionate about. And then um, an interior design company approached her and it's been really fun and amazing for me to sit next to my partner and watch her grow and learn and now like when we walk into a new room if she likes how it's designed the first thing she'll do is lift up all the furniture to see like who made it and what they're doing Mm -hmm. she has to feel all of the she is me and i am her and i was like as soon as (laughs) as soon as charles told me who was coming on i got so excited because i'm like oh my god like it's it's just uh, uh, we were talking about it uh earlier off mic it's it's sometimes it's finding what connects with you yeah you know and watching like, I don't understand some of the terms that she uses, but when she puts a room together and then you walk in, you see it, you're like, oh. You feel it, too. Yeah. Like, that's so much a, I think what I try to convey with my work is this feeling of when I was making it. I know yeah. when I'm really stressed um, or anxious, all that is going to translate into the work in some capacity. Maybe sure. it's like a mistake here or there, or it's the, the textile choices themselves. Sure. But I try to approach the work from this place of like excitement you know sort of rediscovering it every time because there's so many textiles out there but there's also um it's me trying to push my own imagination to what i haven't seen or what doesn't exist sort of in that sort of interiors landscape and wanting to create something that feels so like unique and special that when you engage with it you just can't help but to be like in awe i'm not saying I'm creating the, you know, the greatest pieces that ever existed, but I don't want you to walk by and be like, eh, yeah. you know, feel sure, something, sure you take it. But I, exactly. I really want people to sort of feel something. And it takes me a long time to, the, the textile sourcing and decision process, I think is most tedious for me mm-hmm. because I can have the design idea, but once trying to find that sort of perfect textile that captures everything is, it could take me a couple of months to do that. <sighs> Have you always uh, been like tactile and wanted to use your hands on things? For Is sure. That, did that yeah. express itself in anything previous to? Um, I think kind of, I drew a lot when I was younger, mm. but then I got more just sort of um, digital things with the, the nature of the work that I was doing. And there is something about when I came back to upholstery or came to upholstery, because I didn't have any concept of that before. I didn't know anyone who did upholstery. Mm. I looked at a million chairs in my life, but never saw one as like, oh, it's, you know, these, it has these kind of like nuts and bolts and these different parts. Mm. And getting into it, I almost feel like my inner child is coming out in a way yeah. when I'm working on it. I get to play and explore. Um, and it starts to feel like second nature to me. It really feels like, you know, just in your bag a little bit. And I can, I can redo a chair a couple of times. I'm not wedded to any particular design. It's more so the process for me that I get really excited about. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like that's the way that you and I talk about cooking, you know, sure. where like I'm not, sometimes I'm doing things that I'm not even consciously aware I'm doing, 
because mm. it's it becomes such second nature. Like I'd say the same thing about about DJing for me. Yeah. Where like somebody would ask, like, what was the song you played two songs ago? And I'll I'll literally have to look it back up because really? I don't it's it to me it's like you're you start to see like a whole process and then it's just trying to find like your groove in that process and then kind of just mm. letting it take over. Yeah. And then you look back, you know, like I I am horrible at guitar, but <laughs> like my friends who are, are really pretty phenomenal, they said the same thing about like when they would like solo or something. Yeah. Is it's just when you finally like feel it take over you're just a part of what's That's going on. It. And like, I could see, like my wife has also built some of the furniture in our house and she'll come back in and she'll be like, four hours, like what? <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean? You were out there working the whole time. Right. And you know, you just, you lose, when, you lose when you're it. into it, you lose it. Cause yeah. it's, it's tapping into something deeper. That's what it feels like is tapping into something else. And you know, my dad was asking me, cause it took my dad a long time to really understand or maybe not understand, but, um, I don't know, maybe approve yeah. even of what I was doing. Cause he was just like you know, very traditional. If you're not working a nine to five sort of thing. You're not, you don't have a job. And so when I was trying to explain to him what this work is and how I'm trying to approach it, I couldn't go that sort of, you know, woo woo spiritual kind of <laughs> aspect. Yeah. I really had to break it down to him. Like the same way that his father was a, a farmer and, doing that work was just sort of innate. It was very organic to what he did. I really tried to, once I got that point across to my dad about the nature of this work, it, something clicked for That's him. That's great. And it became like one of my biggest support systems, honestly. But I feel so connected to this work. And I, it's weird talking about it as if it is uh, alive, but it, it feels that way. There's so much energy and there's an energy transference with furniture. Um, and I was going to mention... I was going to ask rather, because um, you kind of touched on this a little bit with the DJing and with cooking, with upholstery work, once I've done a design, I'm kind of, I won't repeat that. And I'm kind of like, it's out of my system. I'm moving on to the next thing. For you both, like, do you have kind of like parts where you feel the same way, whether you're approaching a dish that you're making, or like you said, you're in the zone about making a song or, you know, music. You're like, okay, I've been there, done that. I don't need to revisit that. Sure. I mean, it, there's, it's diametric. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a creative designer, so it's similar yeah. with, you know, the, a style of a label or something. It's, I usually don't want to revisit mm -hmm. artworks that we've already created. Fortunately, we get to work with creative partners that allow us to explore all sorts of different styles. Yeah. So, for instance, the, the artwork for 365 Days of Incidents is a malfunctioning robot that's being rebuilt. Probably mm. won't be doing that one again. <laughs> so, um, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 with visual design, obviously, we have yeah. an entire universe at our behest for what we want to create. Mm. So I, I do have a similar notion to, to yours. Yeah. Nicole. I, <clears throat> um, one of my wife's signatures is when she'll do like a whole room or a whole floor. Mm. There's um, a really adorable uh uh, black and brass kiwi bird mm. that can either be like on its feet with the beak down because the beak is the same length as the legs so either looking like it's feeding or if you roll it on its butt oh. it looks like it's just chilling yeah yeah and that was the first calling card that I realized oh my wife did this yeah. and it's really fun for me going around um this city and actually other cities now around the country because anytime I find one of her rooms, I have to find oh, I the love Kiwi that. bird. The bird. <laughs> and I identified with that because 
I tried to reinvent the wheel like every night when, when I was teaching. I wanted to do something different because I felt like then it was an actual creation mm-hmm. as opposed to me just performing a right. role. But every now and then I would find something like I'd put the end of one song and the beginning of another together or I'd cut something out and then smash in something else. And it like brought me so much joy that for the next like month, that was my like calling mm. card. That was how you knew, even if you couldn't see me, if you had no idea it was there. You heard me. You'd be like, oh, that's gotta yeah. be him. And it was always usually something super irreverent. And it would be like, I wanted to play it until I saw one person in the crowd, like look back at me, like, are you really doing this? And then it's like, okay, there we go. One person got it. Going back to the art thing. <laughs> I got one person to get it. Like whether it's a joke or something really weird or something that shouldn't go together, but somehow really does. Mm -hmm. Those are the moments that I loved because that person's going to go home and be like, dude, I heard this thing. And he like looked right at me and was like a thing. Sometimes that's the best reaction. Oh, it's the The best. best. If I tell a joke that I think is really funny and in a room full of people and like one person laughs, I'm like, that's all I wanted. You're Mm -hmm. like the George Costanza. I'm good. I got got one. I got one. I just just needed one. Exactly. Because I'm laughing at myself as I usually am. Yeah. And then one other person's laughing with me. I'm like, okay, that's good. Absolutely. And I would say the, I would say the inverse is also true. There's nothing that I love more mm-hmm. at a comedy show or even honestly at like a live concert or if there's a DJ, like when you're the only one in the crowd that gets Thank what they were too. doing, yeah. that's so exciting. Like, ah, yeah, ooh. <laughs> and then maybe you get the look from them and like, thank you. I just needed oh, one person to get you that. You know, the best scenario, and I know, I know Nicole agrees with me, when you're the only person at the table that gets the dish, because then you get them all. Oh, yeah. Listen. You know, as much as you want. The best. Right there. That's my sweet spot. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I did hear that, that that worked out quite well. Ooh, it's just like a tingle. <laughs> uh, we should probably have a beverage since that's part of uh, the yes, title please. of the show. Let's do it. Uh, so what do, you, what do you got? Well, when I was recently on the um, Bovida uh, Unbox Live video pod, we were pairing cigars with a few different beverages. We did uh, martinis and um, vermouth. And Nathan Beck, former two-time guest of the podcast, and, um, who is of Bovida, uh, brought a bottle of the uh, Lustau vermouth, their standard protocol vermouth, which is a delicious sipping vermouth. And I was recently at the same store he procured his bottle from, with my wife last weekend. It's called France 44 here in Minneapolis. And they had several bottles of Lustau Vermouth. And this is their rosé, which is their highest regarded of their vermouths and is just delightful. Well, cheers to that. So cheers. cheers. What a pleasure. Ooh. Ooh. So nice. That is lovely. Mm. Wow. It's like bright fruit right on top. Right on top. And then it sinks into this kind of beautiful, like almost caramel. Yeah, it's a little desserty, but it's not terribly sweet. Mm. Nice and right. dry on the finish. Mm. I'm going to sip. Right? That's delightful. Mm. It is so good. Excellent choice. That is amazing. Yeah. Well. I'm picking this up. There you go. Are we getting down to business? I think we should. Let's do it. <laughs> right. Hold on one second because I got a cough. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure everybody heard that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, again, you and I not knowing each other, uh, I talked to yes. Charles a little bit and was trying to figure out kind of where some parameters. And you mentioned that you uh, 
love travel as much as we both do. Absolutely. So yeah. I am fascinated by the weird uh, quirks and habits that we all have <laughs> as humans, and I ask a, a lot of these kind of questions. But uh, say you had to leave from here and you were flying internationally. Mm. Destination's up to you. Do you have anything, like any pre-flight rituals that you have to do or stops you have to make or things you have to bring? And then same question, on the plane or when you land, is there like a travel habit that you have Ooh, at all? I love this question. Yes. Man, okay. Pre-flight stuff or pre-travel things. Um, one of the things I do is I, I get a rack of like, basically making Instagram bookmarks of all the places I want to eat because yeah. that is where <laughs> basically that's how I decide where I want to go. <laughs> what is the, yes. the food scene looking mm. like? Um, what else do I do? I typically will like get my nails done. Something kind of, kind of basic. Um, I don't know if I have any other pre-flight things that I do rituals. I'm a pretty light packer okay. because when I'm, Traveling someplace, I usually am thinking about textiles to buy, honestly. <laughs> sure, you could have room and, I, and that's weight it. left over. <laughs> I'm like textiles and ceramics. Maybe, you know, if I can get a bottle of wine or something. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty light with my packing or pretty tight with it, I should say. But then when I get someplace, I am definitely heading to like, depending on the climate that I'm going to, I'm going to get myself like a big bowl of like ramen something mm. really brothy i'm a i'm a big soup person yeah. so i feel like that's my my comfort lane and it kind of helps me to get acclimated a little bit with where i am um i also just love wandering around like i will get a bike i'll get not a segue something kind of like kind of cool something less i might die yes <laughs> and kind of explore the city in that way just to get a little familiar with the streets and stuff For sure um but it's usually finding a restaurant to like pop into talk, you know, settle in for a while, talk to whoever works there and just kind of get acclimated. That's how I get comfortable. I like, is, is jet lag an issue for you or are you pretty good with I'm it? I'm pretty good with okay. jet lag. And I don't know if it's just, you know, holdover. When I was a kid, my parents were in the military, so we traveled a lot, sure. a lot of really early flights. And then it just was easy for me to acclimate to, to different time zones. Plus I don't like missing stuff. So I'm... <laughs> I'm just I'm like, let's go and just <laughs> yeah. be exhausted and Shake go to sleep. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Get on that time zone, basically. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Charles, obviously, you've traveled quite extensively. Yeah, and we've approached this topic in different ways. Yeah. So mm. the way I'm looking at it is the whole ritualistic nature of preparing for yep. a trip. Yeah. Uh, I am all about being hyper-efficient. I do not like being in an airport except for very few airports in the world. I don't like spending more time at the airport than I have to. Uh, that's why you get your TSA clear. That's why you use your phone to check how long security lines are, which you can do because, you know, sometimes clear is not open or even that is lengthy. Um, so my whole thing is making sure that I spend the exact right amount of time to be safe, but to get where I'm going. Mm. Uh, I do fluid management like we do for the podcast in effect where I don't like getting up on the plane at all Me if I don't neither. have to. And I do not like stopping the car when I'm driving. Mm. So depending on who I'm with, we're going to have to stop at least once. But I can make it to Madison without stopping. I can make it to the cabin mm -hmm. without stopping. I like to, I, I'd, I'd much prefer to have a coffee in my hand if I get up at 7 a.m. to drive to Chicago. Yeah. But I'll forego it because I like the taste of coffee, but I don't need it to stay awake on the ride. So I'm yeah. like, I'd rather just keep driving mm -hmm. so that I can get there early enough to get the lunch I want to get. That's way more important to me than the coffee that's back home. 
Now, when you're flying, how early do both of you like to get to the airport? So you like, my flight's in three hours. I've got to be there at least five hours ahead. <laughs> I don't really honor the whole get there three hours or earlier for an international flight mm. because the airport doesn't know what the fuck you're there for. Right. So I think it's I, I think it's silly. I know the reason they say it is because of lowest common denominator. They want to make sure people don't miss international flights because they're more important. So they tell you to get your ass there earlier. Right. So I understand that notion. But for international and domestic, I mean, I'm still, like, for an international flight, just because the stakes are higher, two hours is fine Yeah. for me. That's enough where, you know, you go through checking your bag and then right. casually walking in. Maybe you check a shop or something. You find your gate. You point at it, which is another funny ritual that literally everyone does. It oh. exists. Gay 12 exists, okay? <laughs> now I can go do other stuff. I mean, I could have said that, but I have to point at it too. For sure. So everybody yeah. else knows. There it right. is. Right between yep. 11 and 13 is gay 12, believe it or not. Uh, and also, if you're better prepared and, and, you know, type A and have some some anal tendencies, as, as I want to do, uh, you can also make better use of that time. Like on the CDMX trip, I had all of Sandman season one queued up. So I knew that if I had to be sitting at the airport for an hour because we got in so quick, I could put on my headphones like a little kid and pull out my iPad and watch a TV Listen, show for a little while. Stay ready. So, so you have to get ready. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. Downloading um, pods, yeah. TV shows, mm -hmm. having like actually something to read. Uh, so, Quam, for you to answer that portion of the, the question. Oh, I'm. It, it depends on who I'm traveling with, and it depends on what time the flight is. Okay. If the flight's in the middle yeah. of the day and I'm traveling by myself, if I'm leaving from the Twin Cities, I will go early because I, um, the whole airport, all the bars and restaurants are, are clients of mine that we yeah. work together. Being mm. uh, in the beer industry with Surly Brewing, I can run around and say hi to everybody real quick and like hang out and have a beer. And then everybody wants to like, oh, where are you going? Oh, it's like, right. that's fun for me. But if I'm with my wife or if I'm with a friend, it's a lot less fun because it's, mm. a, it's a conversation they don't really get to be a part of. Yeah. So then it's a whole lot more of like, if it's around a meal time and we're not going to get a meal on the plane, I'll go to the airport early to grab food. Yeah. Uh, but I also have given more than one person in my life gray hairs because I will skirt in. I will be the last one walking on the plane. Listen, Like I don't. Mm. The I've, stress yeah. already. Stress. You stress I, I can't me. do that. I can't yeah. do that. I, I, have, I have a weird habit of, of doing that and it, it will bite me in the ass at some point, mm. but at 43, it still never has. I've been the last person to walk in the plane five times, but it's never left without me. I always, I'm never like running for the plane. I'm always just moving very quickly. That would give me, that would make the trip worse because it would make me stressed out. Yeah. Same. Like yeah. not knowing. It's, Same. I, so I, need, I need to be comfortable, but also I don't want to extend the trip. Yeah. I wholly you know? understand that. And I, Honestly, I almost view it as something is wrong with me <laughs> because there is an adrenaline. And we've, again, I've, I've hinted at this before on the show. There is an anti-authoritarian streak inside of me that derives great joy from knowing that I'm bending the rules but not breaking them. And I enjoy that. Like, I enjoy the looks I get from angry people that are, like, mad at a stranger because they're the last person to walk in the plane. I love, like, I'll make eye contact with everyone. I will walk in. I just want the them only to person think, who is ire you cannot raise is the TSA. I, mean, I, I would agree right. with you, <laughs> yeah. but there's it. always American Airlines yeah. isn't gonna. There, no, no, it's not the employees. It's <laughs> yeah, the other passengers on the plane. There are people that will get like reflexively angry 
at the person who they perceive as being late to something, but not so late they missed it, that are mad that somehow they planned way ahead and yet here we are at the same time going to the same place in the same moment. Okay. And I enjoy, I enjoy making That's, eye contact with those people. Well, I was going to ask because I, I don't know if this was a meme or something, but it was like, get a partner who likes to arrive at the airport this, as early huh? as you do. And so yeah. I'm curious how your partners are with this same scenario. I would say with my partner, I'm just like, I'm good with whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not wasting time if I'm with her. Yeah. So if she wants to go super early because she's stressed out about it, especially if we're in another city flying home, like whatever, I get, yeah. I'm with you. I'm on this trip because I want to go everywhere with you. Right. So as long as we're kicking it, like I'm, I'm fine. It's the other way around for us. Usually I'm the one dictating timing and stuff. That's just the way my brain works. Yeah. She so let she'll me. Just, she'll just go when I want to go. <laughs> my partner let me push it one time in Norway, and we were going to be having couples counseling if <laughs> if we missed that flight. I I got up really early. We had to go to the airport in Norway. I, in Norway, we were flying home, <laughs> and I got up really er, really early because I had never gone back to the library that like kind of changed my life. Um, living in another country and not knowing anybody when I moved there, I found a lot of refuge in in books from authors that I had heard about but never read. And there was one particular chair that I would always sit in, and I got this weird, like, need to go see if it still existed. Mm. And I found the desk, I found the chair, I found the bookshelf, and I, like, had a moment. And then I looked at my watch, and I was like, oh, my oh, God. Sh- I took, like, 40 minutes getting <sighs> here. Because I had been sort of meandering and I got off at the wrong stop because I couldn't quite remember where it was. And so, I mean, I got home as fast as I could, but we were already running late. Wow. And it was, it was, there were going to be, and she was right. Like I pushed that way too far and it still worked out. But, but you had a moment though. I had I my moment, that. but my moment yeah. caused her more moments of a lot worse stress. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. like that's where as a partner, like you gotta, you gotta be a little Checks bit better. Balances, so you know? Nicole, how early do you like to arrive? And same question about your partner. Like how do you? I'm, I'm kind of similar to you, Charles, in, in the sense of, I, if my flight is, you know, if I'm doing an international flight, I don't like to do the three hour thing because I'm just sitting in the airport. I don't like being cold, you know, just if I can do, you know, two hours before I'm comfortable with that. But I do like to be at the gate kind of relaxed and settled. And I think about there's this um, Japanese concept. I think it's called Yutori or Yatori. I could be mispronouncing it. But the the concept of it is like uh, spaciousness where like you arrive someplace with enough time to sort of take in your surroundings mm. and settle. Mm. And I think about okay. that so much when I'm going anywhere, you know, if it, even just arriving to meet a friend for dinner or something, I'm like, let me get there a little earlier. Not even cause I'm like, traffic's gonna be bad or I can't mm. find parking just so I can have a little bit of breathing space. Um, and with my partner, he's the same way. He probably more so than me. He likes to be checking all the boxes, getting the Uber, you know, timing when that's going to arrive mm-hmm. and then getting to the airport with enough time to also really be relaxed. So that's, that's good for me because I had a partner in the past who truly was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to meet you. You go ahead. If you want to leave early, I will be strolling <laughs> on there last. You know, I like to I like people to see me <laughs> come on board, you know, in my pimp suit or whatever. Yeah. And I'm just like, sir, yeah. can you have a seat? Please? Yeah, but, you know, I think he also would have been uncomfortable getting there early. So yeah. to each okay. their own. There's yeah. a balance. I, I'll exactly. say this, that 
when people pile onto the plane, I'm more like you, Quam. I don't like doing carry-ons. I do a personal item. Mm-hmm. Yes. I hate fighting for yep. overhead bin I space. I hate that. I will check a full-size bag mm-hmm. if it's a you know more than a couple-day trip. I'm coming home. And stuff. I will bring my personal Period. item backpack that I might be able to squeeze up or I'm going to put under the chair. But people piling up against the door, the stress. shoving in there. Mm-mm. I'm like, no. when when Marnie and I were, uh, uh, the flight from Houston to Minneapolis on our last trip, it was our connecting flight. We were standing back and she kept saying like, now? And I'm like, not yet, not yet. Literally until the last person walked up. Then we walked up behind the last person. And then it was like, thank you. And we walked all the way That's back it. to our seats. Mm-hmm. And we sat down, mm. and then the plane left. Right. So like yeah. piling in there, and then you're sitting in the chair for an extra 40 minutes. Yeah. No, thank you. I mean, no, that's, thank you. Yeah, that's also, like, there's a, a, a space size issue as well. Yes. Being, you know, six foot five barefoot, I don't find airplane seats comfortable ever. Mm-hmm. Right. So I also want to spend as little time on the plane as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I will, I, I have honestly gone an entire flight not going to the bathroom, but usually I will have to stand up at some point. Yeah. Like if it's a longer flight, yeah, I, just gotta, I just have to stretch my legs a little yeah. bit because I have to basically, even in comfort plus, I have to sit completely still in one position in order for me to like fit and not ruin mm-hmm. it for everybody else around me. Yeah. yeah. So like I've switched when I travel solo, I've switched to the aisle so that I can at least lean out and give the person next to me yes. a little bit of room. And then it gives me the illusion of more. And then if I have to hop up, I'm good. If somebody else has to go to the bathroom, that's my excuse to stand up. Yeah. But yeah, that's, um, Charles, going back to the original question, when you land, do you nap? Do you, if it's an international flight, so we're, you know, at least six hours, if not longer. I don't, yeah, I don't jet lag. I can't sleep on planes, but I don't have jet lag, and I'm always just raring to go. So no matter what time I'm arriving somewhere, I'm going to do stuff until it's time to go Betty by. So I'm, yeah, I, it depends what time I arrive. Like, I just checked today when I, what time I'm arriving in New York in December, because I just organized the trip to New York again from basically for my birthday. And I was like pleasantly surprised to discover, oh, I get there at noon. I thought I got there later in the day, but I was thinking of my San Diego trip. I Extra get meal. At 6 p.m. So anytime you do that, you need to make a determination of what does that mean um, for your trip. And not feeling rushed is great when you arrive, yeah. especially if you have to wait for the carousel. You got to get a car. You don't know what traffic's going to be like. So noon's a good time to arrive to New York. I'll casually get off the plane while people are elbowing each other and stuff. I'll just wait for them all to, to all get off. By the time I get to the carousel, my bag may or may not be there. Then I'll collect my bag, go get a car, head to the hotel. It'll be time for early check-in by then, you know, 1.30. I'm like, give me an early check-in. Check my shit in. Go or just grab leave your lunch. stuff there and come or back. Or leave it there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but that's usually, that's my sweet spot for early check-in. You know, like 1, mm-hmm. 1.30, they almost never say no. Mm-hmm. Right. If they do, then yeah, sh- shove my bags back there and then I'll come. But I like being checked in. Yeah. So if they'll allow me to do so, then like, that's it. You're done. And then you can just go wander and come back at your leisure. Exactly. And then, yeah, you're exactly right. Fitting in an extra meal is hypercritical in a city like New York. (laughs) That's a place you need those extra meals. Well, that was kind of one of the reasons that I asked the question was, was internationally, I think it's more fascinating because if we go east and we fly to whether it's Europe or the Middle East or, or Africa, you're going back in time. So a lot of times they'll make it an overnight flight and then you get there in the morning. And that cuts off some of the mm. early check-in stuff and all that. And I have realized that as I got older, I actually thought this would fade for me. 
but I push all the way through no matter what. And I've, I've gotten more into that idea because that's the only way that I feel like I can sort of beat the, the weird yeah. sleeping hours of jet lag is to try and make it as much of a normal day when you land. Yeah. Cause basically beforehand, yeah, that makes sense. I'll, I'll have a drink and a shot at some point. I'll grab a big thing of water and then I also can't sleep on planes. So I'll try and like not watch any streamable movies mm. for a little while, just in the hopes that there's something mildly interesting for me. And then yeah, podcasts or music. And then right when we land, it's like, okay, Let's get everything taken care of, get stuff somewhere where I can leave it. And then basically I just try to push through as long as I can. I won't stay yeah. out all night, right? but I'll at least make it to dinner and then have a drink or two at dinner. And then that's sort of like, sure. all right, now yeah. I'll just sleep for a little bit longer. And then I wake up the next morning at 6 or 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm on the time of where I am. Right. And then exactly. it makes the rest yeah, of the trip nice, a little healthy, bit more nice normal. Yeah. After a long day of travel. I will say, I, I also thought about this question a little bit more because I have two separate groups of friends that are in Iceland right now. And one of the very few things that's open, if you fly from the U.S. to Iceland, uh, that opens that early is the Blue Lagoon, like the giant hot springs yeah. that they have right outside of Reykjavik. Sure. And there is nothing that I have found in, in, I think I took my first international trip when I was 12. So in 31 years, it's the best uh, jet lag cure ever wow. is to just go sit in these like mineral rich springs and put silica mud all over your face and they give you two free drinks so you can just hang out and drink like Icelandic or Swedish cider or a beer and just like everything just leaves your system and then you go back, you, your skin's glowing, you feel great. It's like just in time for lunch, go hit some lunch and then go check into where you're, where you're staying. But that was, I, yeah, I will nice. honestly say I have yet to even hear of anything that's better for like the restorative energy of getting off Damn, a plane. Damn, now I'm like, I'm thinking back years ago. Remember WOW Airlines? Yeah. Like I used to take that. That was to, the magenta one, right? It, it, yeah, it was like purple. Yeah, purple. Yeah. I would take that from D.C. to um, like Germany or something. You always have to connect in Iceland. And uh -huh. I thought about, you know, because the layer was kind of long. And yep. I was like, oh, I should just get out and maybe go to a hot spring or something like that. Never did it. Just sitting up in that cramped airport freezing. If you ever get the chance to, uh, I, I, again, do that. I don't know that I've, I've found anything. And I would, I would say like if I had access to it on a regular basis, I would try and go there weekly just because of how good I felt mm. physically getting out. But man, after being cramped up on a, a six and a half hour flight, mm -hmm. like just a, a giant hot tub with like mineral rich mud, like, yeah. <laughs> Everybody looks a little frightening because it's also like kind of foggy, right. and you're in this yeah. like this weird otherworldly terrain. Saw some horror movies, yeah, <laughs> right. And there's always like like a bunch of people like do the full mud mask, but then there's always a couple people that do like the weird like three stripes of paint across, like okay. they're going to yeah. battle or well, whatever. Saw some horror movies start. <laughs> okay, exactly. <laughs> you're just looking around. You're like, where even are we? It's nine a.m. Like, Everyone has a drink in their hands. <laughs> Yeah, you're in a foreign country. Yeah. That's pretty common. <laughs> yeah, <right>? there you <laughs> go. <laughs> no one turns their nose up at that. Well, cheers to oh, that. Yeah, cheers. cheers. And also now let's go on a flight somewhere. Mm -mm. Okay. This is a fun one. Nicole, name a food that can be that can either be really great or really terrible. <sighs> this is excellent. Ooh. Um, You know, this might be kind of simple, but I'm going to say 
like I'm thinking about beats, right? Sure. Because yeah. they started out as one of my least favorite things, honestly. And okay. there was just something, maybe I had it, quote unquote, like the wrong way. I found that when you have, like I've had beat Carpaccio and it completely changed the game for mm-hmm. me. Just like the way it was slightly seasoned, how thin it was, what it was kind of like combined with. When I've had a really bad beat, like it puts me off for so long that I know beats are supposed to be earthy, obviously, yeah. but there's something about like when it's not paired well with whatever you're having it with, it, it the wrong cheese, the wrong, you know, meat or something, it really, I don't know, just bothers me. It, puts, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth and I can't enjoy the rest of my meal. Mm. But you have a really good beat or have it really well done. I'm like, that's it. That's the sweet spot. Do you know what it is that makes it palatable to you or is it just you know it when you taste it? I think maybe it's like how the, the flavor isn't so um, pungent. It doesn't like pop me in the mouth to where I'm some flavors are just too overwhelming, and I find beets can be one of those. But when I've had it sort of thinly sliced, paired with a, um, like a, what did I have it with one time? It was like a crudo. It was just this really light flavor. And that, to yeah. me, is what I, I like, a smooth entrance into my food. Yeah, so maybe they, like, accentuated the sweetness instead of the dirt flavor that I a lot of people who don't like beets remark yeah. upon. That's probably what it was. The sweetness was coming out, and it made me want to approach the whole meal differently versus like, I need to have this sort of in um, uh, sparingly mm. a little bit. Sure. But I'm trying to think of something else because beets is so simple. Um, it's a good answer because most people are really binary when it comes to beets. Mm-hmm. People love yeah. or hate beets. It's similar to mushrooms. Not a lot of people would say like, Ooh. in certain circumstances, I like a good mushroom. Most people are like, I can't eat a fucking mushroom. Or, right. they're, like, <laughs> or they're like me and they're like, I worship the mushroom as my God. Yep. I, I love beets. I, I don't care if they taste like dirt. I actually sometimes mm. like if they taste like dirt. I don't have a problem with it. But uh, it, it's interesting to hear that you That's enjoy the, them in certain contexts and yes. greatly dislike them in other contexts. Yes. I don't hear a lot of that. You know, I know. That's good. <laughs> actually, that means like, you're open to it, though. That's good. The I more am. I think about it, though, I actually agree with you. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I'm, I'm mostly in the beet camp. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I very much enjoy. But... Um, when I, uh, in one of my last restaurant jobs, uh, we had a beautiful, like, salad bar. Like, mm. our fresh line was incredible. And uh, I was, at the time, going through a, a weight loss cycle, so I was trying to eat better. Mm. And I was doing a lot of, uh, in the mornings, I was doing a lot of, like, homemade, like, shakes kind of mm. thing. And the only ingredient that would make me think, I don't know if I'm going to finish this, is if I accidentally screwed up my ratio of how many beets were in something, yeah. where it really did, it made all the rest of the vegetables, for lack of a better term, taste dirty. Yeah. And I didn't enjoy, it, it was the combination of the flavors. It wasn't that there was too much, there's too much beet flavor. It was that I didn't like what it did with the rest of the flavors of it. And th- mm. that's when I'd be like, all right, I'm not going to finish this. I'll just right. make a steady beat. <laughs> make another one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. steady beat. <laughs> uh mine is also similar though uh okay. mine is is brussels sprouts oh. and i think i come from so mine's been like a bell curve because i come from the the era of parents and grandparents who steamed them into mm. a pile mm. of light farts. green mush and yes. farts into mushy farts yes. yep. and that's <laughs> awful and then i had yes. like the relevation of somebody giving me a really properly 
cooked Brussels sprout. Sure. And was like, where has this been my whole life? Yeah, when it happens right? the first time, it's oh, quite yeah. illuminating. And like, then it was like, on, what, sorry, what did you say this? Thing? Okay. Yes. Yeah. And it was, it's it was, not a Brussels oh sprout. it was Brussels sprouts <laughs> with um, some um, togarashi powder oh. and Ooh. feta cheese and candied bacon. And it was like, it was a whole new world. And then I spent the next few years making up for all the Brussels sprouts I didn't eat by eating them all the time. But now I have started to get to the point where I won't order them at restaurants anymore because the new thing is to pour four cups of some sort of thick glazed sauce over them. Right. Listen. Yeah, a lot of and that. then add in some like poorly cooked meat product as well. And then you have this weird like... Too saucy. Yeah, it's like a too, it's like borderline stew. Yes. Only instead of like a good broth, it's just a thick glaze where you can't taste anything. And I'm so, I don't know where, like, like sometimes. but Brussels sprouts. Yes, exactly. Yes. This, this trend hit kind of right before COVID and yeah, I was hoping you're right. it would yeah. maybe go away and it's gotten worse. It's all over the place. So the last two times that I've ordered Brussels sprouts at a restaurant, I, I haven't, I've had two bites and just like, all right, that's enough of that. Because sure. you've ruined it. Yeah. Nicole, were you going to remark something? There was You were talking about the dish that kind of brought you into yeah. Brussels sprouts. Yeah. I was thinking of this restaurant in D.C. I don't know if it's still open. It was called Graffiato. Ooh. And it was, oh, the I forget the chef's name. He was definitely in Top Chef. I forget his name. Sure. But the Brussels sprouts were that dish completely changed my whole perspective yeah. of Brussels sprouts because they were roasted beautifully and it had like um there was pancetta oh. with a little bit of uh he had vidalia onions and there was like a maple yes. slight maple um it wasn't a glaze it was almost like like the consistency of aioli but it was slightly sweetened and okay, it was so like a, some sort of a maple yes sauce. with bourbon yeah. and i was like Whoa. Oh, yeah. the hell and <laughs> i i had that dish at least once a week it was so good just going there for a side so if for if for beats I say that people it are very binary like love or hate mm. for the most part Brussels sprouts I believe is one of the foods that almost every person loves and hates. Yep. Yes. Because yep. every yeah. everybody loves a good Brussels sprout. I've never met a person that told me I hate Brussels sprouts and then I prepared them for them and they said I mm. still hate Brussels sprouts. Mm. I'm like, dude, your mom got the frozen bags. I know the, one and he's a he's a, a former guest on the podcast, but I won't I won't put them up personally. No, I mean it's they <laughs> obviously they exist. I'm not saying it's universal. Same yeah. as with beets. I mean, there are people, as evidenced by Nicole, yeah. that love and hate beets mutually. But with Brussels sprouts, personally, yep. I've never met Brussels sprouts. And then I would say for people who eat meat, salmon, because I've met a lot of people who said they hate salmon because Probably there, you know, some relative of theirs baked mm -hmm. salmon to death and turned it into like that dry. Mm -hmm. I've said that on the show before. Like yeah. salmon yeah. is a fish that if it's poorly prepared, I have a tough yes. time with. And that, yeah. That's a fish I've prepared for a lot of people mm -hmm. that previously hated it, and I'm like, it's mm -hmm. because it's overcooked. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. the whole answer. Um, Mike Isabella was the chef from Mike Graffiano. Isabella. Oh, yes, yeah, sure. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. oh, I was thinking on the same. I was thinking about eggplant too. That we were as we were on vegetables. Just yeah. mm -hmm. if they're you know overcooked or even like undercooked, you just have that mm -hmm. texture. You know where there is too chewy. I had a I had a dish. I it was honestly I still feel guilty about it because it should have been better. But I had a friend who had recently gone vegetarian, and she was so excited to make me. Um, this uh, eggplant parmesan mm, and babes. the it, it honestly she nailed it on the cook with the eggplant but she didn't cook down the sauce so it was really really watery 
which then caused all of like the breading to sort of break off and it just ended up being sort of this like slimy tomatoey watery mess and i had i that was the first time that i can remember like really having a tough time with with eggplant because it was just it, it was like Oh, here, you, do you like this? Would you like this? All right, real quick, going to run it under the sink. Okay. And then there you go. Oh, tough. And like, again, I, nothing against her. She worked her ass off on the meal. I was uh, I tried to be as gracious as I could, but that was one where I'm like, I'm just not that hungry tonight. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Have as much as I can and then call it. You're so sweet. <laughs> uh, Charles, where, where would you go with that? I'm going to take this in a totally different direction. I've often remarked on the show, and everyone who knows me IRL knows that I fucking hate hot dogs. Mm-hmm. When I say I hate hot dogs, I'm talking about slimy, skinless wieners. <laughs> Give it They're to disgusting. me. They're an abomination. My dog eats that when he goes on walks. Okay, look, why would I want to eat that? I have friends who adore them. I cannot understand it, but that's okay. It's your mouth. As we like to I'm say, right here. It's your mouth, Quam. <laughs> but I love, I absolutely adore an old-fashioned wiener. Mm-hmm. Like, what Nate Dogs used to produce here in the Twin Cities, or if you go to the East Coast, there are an infinite number of beautiful, uh, ancient hot dog stands or, or like wiener shops or whatever you want to call them. I've been to them in Pittsburgh and in New York and in various other places, but it's the skin on mm-hmm. old fashioned wiener. It can be so good and so satisfying. And it's the kind of thing that you know, you can have it at a ball game or you can have for lunch or have for a quick snack. Uh, I like the Chicago treatment, but often they will use a skinless wiener. Mm-hmm. But I like the places that use an old-fashioned wiener. It's just there's a, there's a very clear differential for me. Like, what's holding this thing together, first of all? Secondly, it's fucking slimy. It's just gross. The consistency usually is, like, way too fine. It's, like, too pasty. I will say it's that... It's a tube of bologna. I don't yeah, want to... When, when, when you get into the, the really low-end bargain end of like hot dogs i i i will get to that point where like i can't where there's no difference in the texture of the bun or the hot dog like i have a tough time there Mm -hmm. but where i will always put my flag down and defend a skinless wiener is in the uh hebrew national hormel dome dog category where it's all beef and the actual wiener itself has enough tension that it gives a different texture than where the bun is coming Mm -hmm. from and yeah. I will, I will go, I will go to the ends of the earth to defend those delicious. I don't treats. think my brain can distinguish the two from one another. That's understandable. So, yeah. how do you have to have yours cooked if you do have a hot dog, Charles? Like, is there a? Do you have to have it charred? Is it like? No, I mean, I don't have like. Uh, <laughs> so, like Nate dogs uh, were steamed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's you know old fashioned style, mm-hmm. just steamed hot dog. But a sautéed one's good. A grilled mm-hmm. one's good. Uh, I just want the snap. I want the natural casing. Yeah. Um, and then ordinarily with those also, there's a little bit of coarseness to the meat. It varies the amount, mm-hmm. but it's not like that incredibly smooth. Like there's one, okay, there's one old fashioned wiener that is super smooth on um, in the filling that I actually do enjoy. That's the um, number one at Grimarchex. Mm-hmm. That's like the one that looks like a cartoon hot yep. dog because it's so pink. But it's got a casing, and it's smooth in the middle. You know what you're getting into. But it has, like, garlic and all sorts of other yes. flavorings in it. That that, great. And, the, and the casing, so I'm okay with it. But I prefer the number two because it's coarse. It's almost exactly what Nate served at Nate Dogs because they produced his wieners mm-hmm. for many years. But he had more of a proprietary blend. But I, I just like that having, you know, you know you're eating meat. There's something in there that is, like, more of more constitution than just, mm-hmm. like, that smooth paste. Mm-hmm. 
Sometimes you want yeah. the paste. Nicole, do you like hot dogs? I do not like hot dogs. Yep. I am not a hot dog fan. I will take anything else all day. Brats and sauce. sausages as well, I'm or a just girl. Okay. Like, right. I was yeah. born in Germany. And all right. Like, See, that's where I've I just wanted to. Still chasing like that brat, you know, that I kind of grew up with. But a hot dog for me, I do have to like a char and hot dog. Mm. I like something with a little like the texture mm. <laughs> on it. I'm not. Um, I think it's because I've had so many that were really mealy and just short of like Vienna sausage territory. And I was like, I need something with that I can grab onto. I'm not a big ketchup person, so I will do like barbecue sauce on mine, which Mm. my partner is like, where are we? What's happening? Why? Again, I'm still I'm still good with it. But I'm not a huge hot dog <laughs> yeah, person. Some yeah. like it. Some people. Yeah. I, I will say, uh, I know I've spoken about this once, but I do just have to preach the, the gospel of Pat Dwyer. Uh, I had the best like market hot dog I've ever had in my life. And it was uh, charred on the grill, but mm. he butterflied it first oh, and right. dipped oh. it in Valentino hot sauce. <gasps> and then let that caramelize and char on the grill. And then blue cheese and white onion, Excuse called it a red, me? white, and blue dog. And that changed that changed my opinion on what you can do. Because I would do stuff like that with brats and sausages. But hot dog, it was pretty much like either ketchup, barbecue, mustard, or a right. combo of the three. I don't, mm. I, outside of a Chicago dog, I didn't really dress up a regular wiener all that mm. much. But that kind of changed my view on it. So now I'm thinking like, all right, well, what else can we do next year to really push that? And I now, mean. hey- the, the 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 call lines are open if anybody else has an opinion. Peter <laughs> does fun hot dogs, mm-hmm. and that's probably the last time. I mean, that's probably the only time in the last twenty years I've had a hot dog, and I didn't immediately hate myself after. But when we recorded there, uh, they made us a couple dogs. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we had the same one, but mine had some kind of like pineapple relish on it. It was some sort of tropical. We thing. had different ones because you got the pineapple Three. relish. I got the one that had um, it was QB mayo mixed with sriracha, and then. Um, uh, crunchy onions out of the little canister, sure. Like the green bean casserole mm. canister for my midwestern so people. Hot dogs and they do them on the roller. If you like hot dogs, go there. I found myself wishing it was literally anything else underneath those toppings. Correct. <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't absolutely hate it. I was like, yeah, that was that was pretty tasty. But just the, the slimy here in the middle. <laughs> well, putting like Couldn't hot sauce it. that that's gonna sell me because I I love hot sauce. I'm a spicy food girl. Yes. So. Anything. Everyone in this lo- everyone in this room loves listen. Sauce. What I figured out, yeah. so he was really specific We're about wanting to use sauce. the the Valentino, and I couldn't quite figure out why. And it's because that hot sauce itself is very viscous, mm. like it's not super watery, okay. and so it'll hold on to the wiener as it's grilling. So you get the flavor of all of like the sugars and starches in that hot sauce vinegar that's the, the vinegar like it oh, all caramelizes together it. that's it and i was like okay and then you got the blue cheese and then the crunch from the, the onions like that and and we've talked about before i do i don't love the crunch of raw onions when nothing else is crunchy in there but that one was 100% worth it mm. that worked for you yeah all right so take well, that readers <laughs> cheers do we want to uh, switch it up for the next one, or do we want to do one more round of the Lustel Rosé? Uh, I'll top us off with this, okay. since you are asking the next question. All right. I mean, we have this next bottle is going to be under lock and key. It is actually, <laughs> under, <laughs> literally. Literally and figuratively. Uh, all right. So I could broaden this out to design as a whole, 
because obviously we are not as well versed as you are when it comes to furniture and things like that. So take this question as you wish. Okay. But is there a trend in design that you are happy appears to be dead? Mm. Or is there a trend in design that you wish would come back that maybe got written off that you would love to see more of? I love this question. Um, My initial um, answer for the one that I would would like to see kind of go away is the rattan. Sure. Like it's, it's in everything. And I feel like a lot of retailers, um, rely on that as the design aspect itself when there's so much variety when it comes to weaving you know there's Mm -hmm. like a whole school of of danish weaving and hand weaving and there's so many techniques that um i'd love to see in homes that weren't just like like from headboards tables and and the it's all been marked up to a really you know i think exorbitant price even though it's very widely available um and there's, even within rattan, there's just not enough options in terms of colors. Uh, I really would love for, in terms of a trend to come into the space, is more um, green upholstery. And not, the, mm. you know, the bias isn't just because green is my favorite color, but truly I feel like it goes underserved because people are like, I don't know what to pair it with. And when I see it, I've seen it appear a lot more in restaurants, mm-hmm. which is really, really interesting. And I hope that it trickles down more so to residential spaces because it's such a... It's been marked as a cooler color, which can kind of um, turn you off, like in terms of um, your appetite, Mm. you know, especially in in restaurants in the past. But I love seeing that a lot of designers are like, we're bringing green into the dining space again. And I would love for it to be more available in terms of retail spaces, because it's just the way it transforms a room, whether it's a couch, it's just a chair. It's, it's found in accents, like pillows and stuff. Sure. But I feel like um, I want retailers to encourage more boldness when it comes to green, really lush upholstery work. Referring to green, are you, is there a specific shade? Or are you talking about the whole family? Um, well, the whole family would be great. <clears throat> like, I think, and I was just having a conversation with a friend who thought chartreuse was actually magenta. And I was like, well, see, it's... It's more on that green family mm-hmm. kind of scale. Mm-hmm. And it's such an amazing color that really can offset any other color. And I would love for that to be an interior design. But also like emerald greens, the whole family. Like in this light, mm-hmm. like the left shoulder of your shirt looks more in like the chartreuse family to Absolutely. me. But I also, I, I have to understand uh, having a couple of friends that are colorblind. Uh, w- our view of color is completely personal. Yes. Like you can't explain what red looks like to somebody who can't see red there's it's we don't have the language for that and that's like it's fascinating to me when when i start actually just drilling down about no it's true it's like you know when you're trying to i'm trying to present to clients um different color options for for furniture i have to become almost like i really have to go into my english uh you know graduate student brain and be like okay how do i use poetry to describe what this color is and what it can convey in your home space because some folks um just want to be a little more conservative with their home environments and that's i get that but my job as a designer is to try to show you the other like a close representation of your personality if they were pushed a little bit more and reflecting you know your home space reflecting that and so um i feel like and there's so many colors, I think, that go underserved in the design space. But I really want to get back to lush, round kind of pieces. Mm. Mm. There's so much uh, emphasis on mid-century 
you know, it, that is a trend that seems to never go anywhere. And for good reason. Like, it's really well-made furniture. <laughs> and it's kind of a broad era, too. You think of mid-century, could be, you know, starting in the mid-30s. But mid-century modern is much more like, you know... Um, 50s, 60s kind mm -hmm. of style. But I really love like round, curvy furniture that invites you to stay in some place for a while and to linger. And so I love that restaurants are using that a lot more. There's like Mara, yeah. beautiful interiors. They use that olive and like um, kind of a cayenne or cinnamon really beautifully. So sure. seeing yeah. more spaces like that, I like to be in beautiful, comfortable um spots and just hang out there for a long time. Oh yeah. So that's what I'm hoping for in terms of a design trend. Rattan, I think it's nice. I just feel like it's all over the place. Sure. <laughs> There's other kinds of woods to use. <laughs> <laughs> There's other materials. It's nice to see some local restaurants distinguishing themselves and not yeah. just doing Listen. you know, because I was getting sick of Edison bulbs and Subway tile. Uh -huh. and we places like Kaluna where we met. Yeah. That is absolutely stunning. Yeah. It's just like it dropped out of the sky. Yeah. In terms of its decor. And you Incredibly really feel unique transported i feel the same way about the the basement bar at Suki and mimi mm. and even the restaurant Ooh. is stunning but that yeah. basement bar might be aesthetically the most pleasing room i've walked into in the twin yeah. cities yeah and mara at the four seasons obviously yep. Mars. you just referred to it definitely qualifies it has like that really sexy like north african moroccan yeah. sort of appeal the archways are really unique looking and yeah um the various fixtures throughout the furniture it's they really, really sleek and sexy done a beautiful job too of like incorporating the landscape of Minnesota mm -hmm. into the design, like sure. the, that bar where they've kind of like hammered the metal in there, but it looks, I don't know if it's convex, concave, but it's like mimicking mills that are, yep. you know, throughout ah. the state. And yep. then okay. I don't know if you've been to their, their indoor pool area, but even just the ceiling part, it's like an art installation. It looks like waves and it's mimicking wheat fields and wind blowing yeah. over the wheat fields. And I'm just like, details. Yep. It's amazing. I cool. I went on a, a personal tour of the space before they opened it, and mm. I just kept like losing myself in yeah like no detail is is not thought through yeah like every single move seems thoughtful, and I love any room where you can say that I'm mm -hmm. a fan of like even if it's not my style yeah. if like everything from the choice of the texture of the ceiling or the walls down to every single piece if it feels like it's somebody's vision that's just a cool place to be yeah. What I've been kind of like exploring or maybe investigating a little bit is, you know, when you go into a restaurant and it's beautiful, like it's got all the, the Instagrammable kind of nature of it, but then like the food doesn't translate. Mm. There's it, like that trend has been rampant all over the place. Yep. And I love DC, truly. I've lived there 15 years, but there's so many places like that, I think, that have kind of popped up in the past, I don't know, maybe five, six years. Um, but when I moved back to Minneapolis a couple of years ago, I just, I didn't find that sense here. And I, I haven't been to all the places, of course, mm. but I've stepped into so many places where the decor and the food just align. And mm. you're like, I want to hang out here for as long as I can. Plus, I know I'm getting a good drink. I'm getting good service. I'm getting well-fed. And it doesn't feel like mm. if I post this on Instagram, there's a bit of a facade because the food was, was terrible. Right. But, you know, they got a cute vignette over here. And I'm hoping yeah, that, you know, I, your experience about that here, both in, or in Minneapolis or in St. Paul, kind of how you approach or judge a place by the decor yep. versus the food that they have. It's got to be a whole symphony. It can't just be solos. Yeah. Got to hear the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
we always say you eat with your eyes first. And mm-hmm. for me, that qualifies when you, you know, coming from my background in um, creative design, like the branding comes first. Then you design, I see the website, I see the social media presence, then you see the building. And if we're through that point where I'm through the door, I'm sitting at the table, I'm sizing up the furniture, I'm looking at their mm-hmm. plateware and their, their silverware and um, the art on their walls and the way everyone is composed with their apparel and the music and the din and the lighting and the sound, everything. Mm. That's that's each step that gets me. If if they get through each of those steps, usually yeah. the batting average is going to be a little higher, right? right? If they've done like those nineteen things correctly, yeah. Then the likelihood that the food's going to be good usually to me is going to be higher. possibly higher. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't always. I mean, they don't always hit a home run, right? <laughs> but when you go somewhere and you get those warning signs, you know, the red flags pop up everywhere, like. Yeah. Dirty apron, crack tile, bathroom's dirty, logo's awful. <laughs> like the, those elements, you're like, ah, I don't yeah. know. I don't. Should we? Should we go? You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm looking at like, what's the weight of the menus? Even yep. you know, <laughs> yeah, all those right. details. My friend used to say she was like, you go to a place, you know, and they give you the bread basket. That's gonna really set the bar for how the rest of the meal is gonna be. Sure. The bread is great, girl. You're you're in for a good time. And I'm like. That's probably like step 12, you know, because to your point, I'm looking at all the other things yeah. that I'm building up to that. There's a lot that happens There's before a lot. you get there. There's a lot, yeah. God, can, we just, see. can we talk about focusing on bathrooms too? Like how <laughs> ma- is there anything more disappointing? And I, I think I've learned this more uh, from, from having a, a partner as long as I have, but holy shit, like the, um, the lack of thought, the amount of money that will go into like the main room and the entryway and then the immediate reverse lack of thought or money being spent on like what's going on in the bathroom is always like the biggest turnoff for me. Is anything more satisfying than taking a break from a great meal to reprieve yourself to the restroom and then have like this beautiful, dimly lit, nice smelling bathroom with yeah. beautiful wallpaper? Wallpaper that always on makes point. you feel so good. Mm-hmm. It's look, just like... like you can reflect on your meal, yes. take a moment to yourself. You know, they have the if they have the towels and you get to oh. wash your hands oh, with the you fresh have a towel. Good soap, mm. You know, it just feels good. Yeah. It's it's part of that whole experience. And yeah, I I don't like when the bathroom is an afterthought because most a lot of your patrons are gonna go there at some point. You know, your staff. It it definitely um, can switch up your mood too. Mm-hmm. You know, like you were saying, you had a great evening. You've been having a good evening. You go to the restroom. You're like, well, dang, I feel like I have to, I'm, it's sticky in here. I'll give an excuse or a pass to places that are in a building where they technically can't do anything with yeah. the restroom. Oh, yeah, yeah. sometimes yeah. that's the case. And then I'm like, oh, that sucks. Sure. Because you're in this beautiful dimly lit restaurant and then you have to walk down the hallway to this super brightly lit like employee bathroom. <laughs> and you're like, where am I now? It's right. like every bad office bathroom. Exactly. It's immersion breaking. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh right. my gosh. They were like, you're not supposed to be here long anyway. Just <laughs> Yeah, you hear the lights buzzing. Stuff. There's no music, just you lights the, buzzing. You hear the lights <laughs> buzzing. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very specific detail. Yeah, okay. It's going to take me a few minutes to get back to the table and compose myself. Oh, my goodness. After this. I feel I re- like this was the uh, I feel like this was the overarching scene in Saw that yeah. I just took part in. Right? Listen. <laughs> I have a friend who, she has a whole Instagram bookmarks of um, restaurant, restrooms. And she's like, these are oh, the yeah. best of. Right oh, yeah. Here. I'm like, it's important. You know, the wallpaper. Speaking of George Costanza, yeah. Exactly. Gotta size up the bathrooms. You have to. My wife has doors and, and tile work on the floor. That's mm-hmm. her thing. Like, if she likes the door True. and she likes the tile work, uh, she'll yeah. walk into a room completely yeah. differently a, than if yeah. it's, like, a bullshit plain door and, like, subway tile or whatever. Yeah. Sure. Like, all right, now you're going to have to try harder. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Let's figure that out. Exactly. The, the black and white checker tile. Yeah. Or blue. The and subway white tiles have taken over. They are. Well, and that's yeah. the thing. Like everywhere. when you were talking about everywhere. that with the Edison light bulbs, like that just moved into everybody's house. Yeah. Because like yes. I can't tell you, yeah. I'd say fifty percent of the houses that I go to when my friends buy a new place, like that's what, that's what the 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 sellers did right before they moved in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to do a quick flip here. Mm-hmm. Look, at the, look at the kitchen. It's got some. Some of these and filament just, bulbs, and you just glued it right on top of the old ones, huh? <laughs> okay, yeah. All right. yeah, I can kind of, I can actually kind of see them under there. <laughs> uh, for me, the answer is one and the same. It's retrofuturism. Mm. Uh, I'm a cyberpunk bobo. I love the uh, the aesthetic, and it was something that was very popular when I was a youth, and it's reemerging. And I think it's because you're seeing a lot more um, interpretations of it that mm. aren't like samesies. Everyone's interpreting it in a different way, um, which also means that it, many interpretations of it are awful. Um, I do like, I like the idea of retrofuturism in vehicles, but if you see all these shitty new um, electric trucks, they're all mm, yeah. retrofuturistic, but they look like they look like a car that got crashed on Total Recall. Yeah, you they know? look like a GoBot. <laughs> it doesn't look like something I want to take my wife on a date in. <laughs> it looks like something that crashed into a pillar yep. on Total Recall. So <laughs> the manifestations of it are important, but I do love seeing it, and it's so deeply interpretive, and it ranges you know, from, from static 2D design to animation, film, uh, uh architecture, furniture, mm-hmm. there's so many interpretations of it. And I think it can be really cool and interesting. And some interpretations of it will stand the test of time, just like retrofuturism from the 70s. Some of that stuff has stood the test of time because yeah. it turns out, oh my God, that was actually really beautiful. This piece that was created, this like typewriter or what mm-hmm. have you. I'm ordinarily as a creative director, I'm more suited to nuance. Um, I like, I like, for instance, uh, color palettes that will stand the test of time. I don't like oversaturation because trends come and go. Mm-hmm. So you can design something that is deeply saturated. It could be really in right now, like 2022, and then maybe through like 2024. And then depending on what it is in its application, if it has to stand the test of time, you might have to redesign whatever the application was because it's going to be another 20 years before people want to see that again. So pastels have, have been really in and they're, they're still kind of in, but you can already see that sort of giving way to more saturation. Yeah. You're seeing like a lot of hypersaturation of colors and apparel and, mm-hmm. and like design applications. And I just see that and I'm like, that's so much less likely to stand mm-hmm. a longer duration of time. Um, that's why I, I am more suited uh, not just in design, because sometimes in design, the application calls for a particular thing, but in the way that I dress too, you know, I'm wearing like army green and these um, sort of uh, brownish chrome colored boots, blue jeans. Ordinarily, I like to be more narrowly focused on like classic colors mm. because everyone's done it. You look at a photo of yourself when you're 13 and like something you were wearing where you're like, oh, why did I wear that? I just prefer not to do that. Whereas I know some people are okay with it like living through trends, but I prefer to be able to look back on my choices and feel confident about yeah. them. And for that, that means like, it's, and it's my natural inclination anyways, that's being like more nuanced in my, my choices. It's actually, I've never thought about that before, but that's a really great distinction between the two of us. 
because I yeah. will, I will, I do dress louder. I, I'm, I'm wearing sure. bright salmon pants, white and lime green Nikes, and a mustard polo. Right. But where I figured out the restraint was finding my partner, who is very like mid century modern. Mm-hmm. She loves neutrals. She loves if there's going to be a wood accent, then it better come with a black, a gray, mm-hmm. or a white. And then she's okay with like art being the popping piece. Yeah. Or an accent mm, wall accents, or, yeah. you know, like bright chairs or like cushions, something like that. Yeah. Where the little pops then mean more if they're not lost in a whole sea of everything is exploding. Sure. Right. I've grown into that because I never used to be that way. But now like accent pillows mm-hmm. or other accents in yeah. like our home space or in my office, I'm so much more open to that now. Mm-hmm. So I had to grow into that. I'm almost 41. <laughs> it took me some time to even accept yeah. that. We're all prefer, still growing. I would prefer you, nuance, you know. Yeah. Would you say for either of you, like your styles are more on the minimalist side or maximalist? Or are you kind of like in the middle in terms of how you like a room to feel? Like when you walk and you're like, I like a cleaner line. I, I find more comfort now in the clean lines of where our life is in my house. Mm-hmm. But I do then like I want to have something in every room that that draws my attention to yeah. it. So whether that's a painting or a, a sculpture or a photo of us, like the photos that we have up of us in our house are some of the most brightly colored things that we have. Mm-hmm. And I like that because then when you walk into the room, your eyes are drawn there and yeah. it's a reminder for me of, oh, this, that was one of my yeah. favorite days of my life. Mm-hmm. And so I've learned to be... My personality is maximalist. <laughs> so I've learned to try and dial it back yeah. a little bit. So I do prefer to like dress nicely, but I will usually wear a brighter color than most of the other people at the wedding or yeah. honestly the funeral or whatever. Uh, I don't believe in all black for that and then grays for this. Right. Like especially the nicer I dress, usually the more flourish I'll throw in there, whether it's cufflinks or a, a bow tie. Or something like that. Because I like the balance of the two. And that's, I guess that would be my answer to that, to the question is what I really hated was in the nineties, it felt like, and maybe this happened in previous generations and I just didn't know, but living through the nineties, I felt like we went all in on these ridiculously over the top, like color palettes where like everything was the Eddie Bauer edition. Mm. And it was like that, that khaki and emerald green together. Or you had the... We're, we're, we're kind of there now, which is the hypersaturation I was yeah. referring to. We're kind of re-exploring that. And it's fun to look at, but you just know it's not going to last very long. Yeah, I yeah. guess maybe that's it. It's just where it gets it gets so overdone that it's just exhausting. Like, we had a trend in the Midwest, which I didn't see as much when I traveled to the coast, but maybe I just wasn't going to the right spots, where there was always some sort of, like, lighter wood, like a pine or a birch. Mm-hmm. And then it was always paired with some sort of maroon, some sort of like taupe, mm. and then one other color. And that was, everything had to That's be that. It. All the leather was that color. The edging around the menus and the laminated menus were all that color. And I, like, I still, if I walk in somewhere, like maybe up in like cabin country, and it looks like that, I will shudder for a second because I'm like, I thought we were done with this. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but Can we talk for a second about how 80s TV shows are a fucking lie? Yes. Because <laughs> everything was puke green and poop brown but they're making it look like it was so beautiful Listen, and colorful and verdant. I was going to bring this up earlier. It was like TV set designs, are they, they lie. Yep. They're a so lie. much. Bunch of liars. 80s here. stuff especially, they're fucking lying. I'm like, stop. You know, and I, I, I like Stranger Things, but even I, I find myself interrogating the sets a lot of time, like, yeah. no, this wasn't. 
these are bad references. Okay, I will say though, using Stranger Things as yeah. an example, uh, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I have found that they're in this this like we miss the '90s signed people who didn't live through the or the <laughs> '80s signed people who didn't live through the '80s. There is something that I have found incredibly nostalgic mm. and like like warm feeling about. That weird mix of blue neon and pink neon that was at malls and in movie theaters in mm-hmm. the 80s. There are a couple places that have redone their stuff to kind of bring that back. Oh, yeah. And I absolutely, like, very quietly get all warm and squishy it's, on the yeah, inside when I fun. see that. Yeah. yeah. That's It'll the thing. fade as quickly as it came. Uh, right. Yeah, I would exactly. never want anything fun. in my life yes. to look like that. But I will, I will, I will get, like homesick almost as a feeling yeah. when I see that or like the yeah. glow of like a lot of like uh, like it's well, like an arcade when you were 14 exactly well, I was gonna say you, you know? can go into well maybe not now but before you go into any co-working space too they have you know the decor is like the neon signs in there mm. you have that blue or the pink and I, I appreciated that a lot of spaces were leaning into those saturated colors like the specific blue the, the pink the, the millennial pink got kind of oversaturated for a long time but I liked that there was this sort of like cotton candy aesthetic that did feel a little bit nostalgic Mm -hmm. because I think for a long time you know people were trying to do a hard left away from all of that but you know everything is cyclical so absolutely I I mean there sometimes I try to explore uh, those types of themes knowing that nostalgia is present perhaps before it's prevalent Mm -hmm. like when I did Mm -hmm. the original logo for Falling Knives Terminally Chill the the uh, texturing of the font, which is like a 90s style font, mm-hmm. is the jazz pattern from Jazz Cups. So mm-hmm. it's the turquoise oh, and purple yeah. swiping, you know, that yeah. I, I essentially recreated so that I didn't steal artwork. But it's that exact color and a similar swooshing. Steel so and purple, when baby. people see that, <laughs> they go, oh man, it's, uh, it's that familiar. reminds me of, what's that cup called? It's the fucking solo jazz cup. Every roller <laughs> rink, better bowling come alley, with orange arcade. drink inside of it. Some, Listen, yeah, some sticky liquid's gotta be in there, Listen, that's for sure. it's as like, iconic as a Pizza Hut cup, you know? Yep. Yeah. Those cups. Oh, I was man. gonna ask, like, is there a typography that really just sets you on fire. You're like, I don't, I don't, I never want to see this again. Oh, don't like, make me. <laughs> I know we're going down a hole here. No. We, we are we, going papyrus down. Bleeding cowboy comic sans. Yep. All right. Comic sans. On. I hate it. it comic sans has some fun applications <laughs> now. Like, especially when you see, uh, some bottles of wine use it. Like a lot of Spanish wine seems to they use do. it. Which you're like, why did you, why? I, Where it's like quirky and I'm okay with it. But when someone's using it in earnest on like a food menu, see, that would be Nicole, like step number 17 when we're sitting down at a table. (laughs) Really? Comic Sans for your uh, Boof Bourguignon? I'm already like suspect. Mm. Oh, Nicole, I will will tell you straight up. There is somebody who has been wanting to contact me about some business things that I have been dodging because he writes his email in Times New Roman or Mm. Calibri, depending on what he's typing it from. But okay. he has the font specifically set for his signature to Comic Sans. And In I can't, Comic Sans? can't take him seriously. <laughs> is he I cannot, trying to have a laugh? Nope. Or is it? I thought I was going to suss that out from wow. the very first one. Nope. There is absolutely nothing ironic about it. Huh. He is honestly putting that down. And I cannot take him seriously as a human being. That's, that's I, Like, wild. you picked that. You were like, no, 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 no. I got to have this. It's not See, even the default speaking font. Speaking of trends, we're not there yet, my friend. Because it's not the worst font on earth anymore. It's number three now. Ooh. But... We know. 
It's terrible. Because I also hate your two least favorite fonts. I think actually is here's an announcement for you if you're listening to this live. I think Bleeding Cowboys is number one now. Yeah. <gasps> I think Bleeding Cowboys is number one right now. It's absolutely fucking so dreadful. fuck you, Bleeding Cowboys. <laughs> I saw it on like a bottle of hot sauce or something. Yep. And every time I see it, like, I have a visceral reaction. Marnie's like, at first she takes a second to realize what I'm talking about, but I'll point at whatever it is and I'll go, Bleeding Cowboys! And she she'll be like, where? It. Oh, no, I, okay. Yeah. The font. All right, calm down. It's, oh my gosh. The papyrus is a nightmare, obviously. I was going to say that one, actually, because it's it's a tie between that one and Comic Sans for me. Like, Comic Sans, yeah. I've, I've made so much fun of it that it's just part of... Um, like, I don't hate it as much because mm. there's a whole, well, there used to be a whole Tumblr account dedicated to making fun of it. Yeah. But Papyrus is like, I, what is it supposed to be exactly? Racist. Oh, it was a, it's, it, it was a cognac that we saw at yep. France 44 yep. that had Comic Sans. And actually, it didn't make me not want to buy it. So that's why it's in number three. Because oh. if that was Papyrus or Bleeding Cowboy, mm. I probably would have smashed every bubble <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> like, literally, it's Papyrus and whatever the 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 brush stroke font is that every cartoon uses for every asian restaurant like those are the oh two my they have to have been born I, in I like how do we make white idea. people think of brown people exactly and huh. this is this is the attachment that goes along with it i've always seen it that way like yeah i guess you'd have to show me because i don't know what you're referring to yeah i'll i'll We'll talk about it later. Yeah, we'll talk about it. It might be in the top five if I remind me of which one this is. There's a restaurant that I used to drive past going to see somebody that I used to have. We have more questions. We have more questions. I figured that one I will say that's a dangerous question. I have to bottle it up because our listeners have heard me talk about I I used to play this game called Don't Fuck This Up with my old roommate. And we had we we had to start a lie when you walked into a bar, you'd split up and start a lie. And then if you had something going with strangers, you could raise your hand and then the other person had to come over and whoever screwed it up first had to buy the drinks for the rest of the okay, night. Okay, I like that. And my go to when I couldn't come up with anything else was that I was an up and coming topographist and I had oh, an entire right. backstory. Like I know a stupid amount about fonts because I wanted to make it as believable as oh I could. Oh my gosh. And for whatever reason, I still <laughs> couldn't tell you what day any of the payments for my credit cards go out of my bank account. But I can tell you everything you that I learned. These fonts. I know about these fonts. Listen. And I never had to pay for drinks. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that set off <laughs> something. <laughs> uh, well, should we uh, have a sip and go on to the next one? We shall. And uh, Charles, as you're getting that one ready, um, I have oh, yeah, switched. So, um, polishing off the loose out. Yeah, so I busted out some uh, Pedro Jimenez whiskey, or whiskey, <laughs> sorry. Whoa, Pedro's Sherry. stretching his legs. I got really excited for a second. <laughs> um, it's called El Candado. Um, it literally came with a, a padlock holding the cover on. Um, but Super cool. It is, I thought this would be something fun when, when Charles told me what he was bringing. I thought, what if, like, a complete opposite end of the fortified wine coin we could, or, or spectrum we could get to. Um, this pours like as dark as port and I get so much like dried fruit from it. I get so much like raisin, mm. craisin, prune, fig goodness yes. in this. So I thought for all the beautiful bright fruit I was hoping to get from that, which we got and more. Oh yeah. Mm. Uh, that bottle will also be living at my house very soon. Yeah. I'm definitely uh, that up. But this is, Portable this too. is a, I think it's like 27 bucks in that range. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. For 750 oh. ml, that's a nice price for that kind yeah, of Yeah, that's amazing. Kind of a sipper. Um, so yeah, feel feel free if you like, and then okay. Charles, if yes. you want to. All right. Ask a number hey. four. 
Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, what's your old person with a DVD player thing? What kind of what uh, <laughs> what tech are you just bad at? Oh, we. <laughs> what am I? It could be software, things. hardware, oh, anything. Lord. Where you're just like, why can't I figure this damn thing out? You know, it is like the freaking. Uh, what is well? It is a TV. <laughs> it is the remote <laughs> controls. Yeah, <laughs> there are too many now. The ones with like the little like button in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I always keep slipping and hitting the things. cursor. Yes, those like, are annoying. What is it here for? It I doesn't don't need work. It's it. the way it's supposed to be either. And I have long nails, so I'm forever like I have to press the nail itself onto this cursor sure, to yeah. get it to go. That's one thing. Um, <laughs> I am. What else am I just really slow at? Uh, Oh, honestly, this sounds terrible, but it is my phone. My my niece has been showing me some features that I didn't know about my own okay. phone, and I don't know why I have this particular, you know, iPhone. Don't even know all the stuff that I can do with it. <laughs> um, I just I have two buttons, you know, two apps that I kind of go to, and so the rest I have to ask my partner or my niece helps me out with learning stuff. <laughs> so I feel like I'm just I have it just to have it, but. Yeah. I'm not a real like I like technology, but I am much more of a I hate to say like the term analog person. Mm-hmm. I don't really mm-hmm. seek out a lot of new tech devices. I kind of stick with what I I know, which is very little. But um I would say I'm always asking questions about the phone and mm. can we get a, a simple remote control <laughs> in the house, <laughs> honestly. That's main thing. Shit. Yeah. I feel like my first response should be the fucking stereo upstairs because I still cannot ever oh, get yeah. it to hook up to anything else. <laughs> and it's the most frustrating thing ever. But it's not because I don't understand the technology. It's because I don't have the list for when you're cycling through the sources. It doesn't say which is what. So unless you have like the manual. Yeah, I think the last time it was on the wrong input or something. Yeah, that's all it was. Plus it's got to warm up so then mm-hmm. you can't figure out right away if you're on the right input. Yeah. So... That will, f- until I figure it out, that will forever feel like me. it. But I, I always forget until the next time we're recording and then I'm like, fuck, I should figure that out. Uh-huh. But I haven't. <laughs> uh, my thing is, is honestly, uh, I still cannot figure out how to make the Apple Watch valuable to me. It's a nice fashion accessory. It looks very nice. I have the, the watch oh, face you. that I very much enjoy. I told you before you bought it from me that it's, it's extraneous. There's really not yep. that much... Everyone that I know that is as involved in technology as I am has yeah. one. Mm. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm just behind on this. Mm. So I, I got one and I just, I can't make it useful to myself. Like I, everything that I would normally like look at that for, then I still have to get my phone out. So why not just mm. get my phone out? Like there's not, there's just not a whole lot that I've figured out that's useful. And part of it is I just haven't spent a few days fucking around with mm. it. Yeah. But yeah. Like everything is like, okay, now I got to look up how to do that. Well, now I got, and I'm sure right. as soon as I do it, I'll, I'll figure it out. But I literally already. That's the thing. I don't like going to the manual. It's a problem. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, I need to shift that part of my nature in general, but I'm just like, I want to be able to eyeball it and huh? kind of figure it out. Sure. But there's resources. Why don't yep. I just save some time and go to, you know, YouTube or read the manual? With anything, even if I'm putting together furniture, I'm just like, well, we'll, we'll dive in. Mm-hmm. I don't need to look at the 12-page yeah. steps, you know. 
there's kind of the contrarian part <laughs> of me, I guess. Yeah, so but do you it's think, costing do you think me a good, time. A good piece of furniture should sort of be intuitive for construction Ooh, too? That is a good question. You know, I think if it is... At least a little? A little bit, I yeah. do. Like if you're making it in mass for people, you know, largely to consume, I do feel like there should be some user-friendly aspect to it where it's not all the bits and the parts necessarily. But at the same time, I, I think that it restricts, like I don't want to confine design in that way to where it's like it has to all be um, sort of palatable and, and really easy to approach. There's some things that do require work and sure. then you get a beautiful product at the end. Right. But I feel like if you can reduce those steps, it's more helpful just because mm. it allows a, a better access point of entry versus you know being a barrier. Yeah, I agree with that. Sometimes yeah. it's a UI UX thing too, because yeah. the person creating the instructions is not necessarily the person that created the that part itself. That part. And if there's some failure of communication between those audiences, oh, yeah. we've all had a piece of furniture where we're like, "What fucking side is that? <laughs> what side is that?" Just yesterday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm like already triggered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. I'm just thinking about this last Saturday. We had our 19th annual uh, cooking get together with my, yeah. my closest friends, yes. and we had to put uh, the we we bought a new outdoor burner finally because mm. the one we had was basically an IED, uh, like we had to duct tape down all the safety God, features yeah. so that it would work. <laughs> which go. Doesn't inspire a whole lot of confidence <laughs> when you're next to literally a tank of propane, so. Hey. We put that on there, and the instructions were, th it was the instruction booklet that doesn't have words, mm. and so it's just some random pictures, and it wasn't until I literally finished putting the whole thing together that I realized that all, like, the left and the right side, or the, actually, it would be the front and the back side if you're looking at the burner, um, are identical, and they drilled holes on both sides for where the like the heat guard should go, okay. oh. but it only fit on one side. Oh my gosh. And I was so oh. mad. I was oh. so <laughs> mad because there's just no way, like looking at the pictures, even after tell. we realized it, we went back and looked at it and like, no, that's the same. It's the same view in the little one pencil Gotta line drawing. It. And I was like, God, just fucking with you. And it's yeah. of course in the rain. <laughs> so I'm just mad that I'm standing yeah. in the rain doing this. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Worst case scenario. As you know, had to blow off a few F-bombs and have a beer, and then we were fine. And it came together. Yeah, exactly. So uh, what about that for you, Charles? It's got to be, uh, I was going to relegate it to a singular one, but now that I think about it, most social media is just, I don't fucking get it. Um, Facebook, which no one really uses anymore. I have a lot of proficiency and experience with it. Instagram, similarly, I understand how to advertise on all these platforms but i don't know how to twitter um mm. i realized this when you posted your live stream of the um the taylor hawkins tribute taylor hawkins tribute concert that you were at in california because mm -hmm. then you linked me and i do have a twitter mm -hmm. and i clicked it and i went in and i had to like fumble around to figure out in what order things mm -hmm. go and why and then like how to uh show my pleasure with your Posts. I was like, oh, there's okay. There's the heart right there. That was also there's a little bit. Thing. There was a little bit of user error because that was yeah. that was a stream of I think 41 or 42 tweets all in a row mm. that I tried to keep in a column. And mm. at one point, sure, the guy 
so I, I moved seats once. The, the gentleman that I was with, our, our good friend Nick, um, we, we switched seats once. So at one point, the gentleman on my left, and then after we switched seats, a different gentleman on my right were talking to me while I was like, just, I, I was just trying to keep a, a steady list of all of the myriad performers that were coming in and out on stage. Yeah. And I would talk to them, and then I realized that instead of keeping on the main thread, I was replying to some of my own tweets as opposed to keeping it all in. Okay, so it's not me, it's you. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. it was both. So I did that twice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that would have made it a little bit difficult, but yeah. you should have still had 30 plus in a row. Yeah, I and I, I guess there would be no way for me to know if they were all exactly right. in the right order. Yeah. But I feel like it's it's so interesting because there's like a, a whole generation or, or a couple really that grew up with actual words, you know, mm-hmm. spelling out what instructions were and now there's just symbols for mm-hmm. so many things so mm-hmm. you're as the apps are, are changing they're changing the algorithms they're changing the chronology of things they're changing what, yeah. what you know how to point to certain features you have to really know to read symbols and it's not intuitive i agree i think as they and want it to be speaking to lacking yeah, yeah intuitive um direction and and uix ui ux components like Facebook's getting more and more confusing. Oh gosh. I've always had a button for most recent that like mm-hmm. either I've built as a shortcut or I know where to find it mm-hmm. and they keep moving it because mm-hmm. they want to be able to change the chronology to so that you see whatever they want you to see so that they can hide how much they're advertising to you. Exactly. And so that businesses have to pay them money if you if if I want to see the posts that I want to see from that business. Yeah. And now Instagram is doing the same thing. Facebook is suffering massively right now. It's it's an it's a whole mess. Everything yeah. that they're doing, and now yeah, Instagram is increasing their their advertising as well. But Twitter, I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't really care to know. It's it's never really been for me, and that's fine. And then um, the TikToks, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I have it because like my friends send me videos, but then when I pop on there, I'm like, what am I looking at? Because there's just like videos from people I've never seen in my life just popping up one at a time. Yeah. And it's supposed to be like candy, I know that. But yeah. I don't know exactly how they're doing it or why. There's so no I way. watch a video that like Nate sends me. <laughs> and then when it's done, it's like a 13-year-old girl doing like yes. axe kicks on boards yep. or something. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> why it's, am I here? <laughs> there's no way to curate it. You really mm-hmm. are just at the behest of whatever this app wants to show you, whatever right. it feels like. And it's very different even than Reddit, which that is something that I do feel very um, kind of like, out of the no on the the whole interface of reddit kind of confuses me mm. <laughs> it's just this yeah. like html so i don't really engage with it but it's funny because that's what i love about it see it's i love that it makes me feel like i'm looking like the old GeoCities websites and the old like aol I'm chat rooms so lost. like i once i kind of figured out how <laughs> to bend it around i definitely only use it like i use reddit and twitter to mm. only find out mm. things that I'm looking for. Okay. So I use them both as news aggregators. Yeah. Okay, here's the here's new one that I don't think anyone understands. It, 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 if you understand it, then let me know. Discord. Does anyone understand how fucking Discord works? No. Absolutely not. Like, I have a Discord channel. Okay. What the fuck does that mean? Right. Someone's going to email me probably after this. I literally, I think it's just like a way of idiots. watching people. Like, I have some friends that no, play Dungeons and Dragons like, on Discord. What? But how do you, you don't watch on Discord. Is Discord a ch- like a peripheral chat channel? It's like a channel so you could all play together. So, I, like, how? like, yeah, I don't get it. Online, Ooh. I don't, I don't know. Right. But on Discord, it's, they have their own know. networks for like PSN or. 
I, I agreed with you that I don't get yeah, it. I just that's understand. what people okay. have told me. Uh, there are people listening to this that think we sound like idiots right now, but no, I we're just that. fucking old. <laughs> I like, never I'm understood. Sorry. I never understood the Snapchats. I, come up, come um, at me about Discord, and I'll I mean, fucking I end Snapchat you in Double Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, rolling natural twenties, baby. There's, I'm like, how much can you also engage with? You know, just on a day to day basis. Uh, surprisingly, a lot. I think. Yeah, there's. I I have friends who use all of the things that I just mentioned. Like mm. Every single one of them. And I guess the way I look at it is I spend an ample amount of time on Instagram, for instance. Perhaps I would dilute that and spend more time right. on one of, the, one of these other ones. But I, I prefer to sort of narrowly focus on yeah. mostly that. Like now really the only social media I do is um, Facebook Messenger. Mm. Like a very, very tiny amount of actual Facebook, but almost none. And then Instagram. Instagram, yeah. It. And that's just, you know, doom scrolling, food photos and stuff. That's... It's fun to do. Facebook's for my friends. Instagram is for memories for me. And Twitter is how I find information that I'm looking for. Mm. That's, that's pretty much, that's how I look at all three and I don't do any of the other ones. But Facebook is so that I can, like, it's basically a closed circuit to, like, people that I've known going back yeah. to high school. And I still enjoy talking with a lot yeah. of them. So I'll throw stuff out there. Instagram, I love going through my own Instagram page because it's it's like a greatest hits of yeah. what I've yeah, been up to. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. that makes me very happy. And I also, like, it's great seeing, like, my friends' photos and all that. I think that's real, like, going, because I, I don't have a, I have a Facebook profile, but I don't post anything. It's really just to search on Marketplace for furniture. Sure. And then I don't have a Twitter. TikTok, I have gotten more into. Um, my sister has been sending me a lot of TikTok, so mm. that's why I got the app. And then I just kind of got sucked in, um... It makes me laugh. I yeah. like looking for the, the funny TikToks, to be honest. And Instagram is still one of those, um, like the main platform where I share my work. But yeah. also it's just, I love looking at, for, for aspirational, kind of inspirational culling of information yeah. and imagery. Um, just being a visual person, that being the background. I try not to see it so much as a, I know there's a lot of conversation now about Instagram doing um, shadow banning or, you know, pushing down pages and stuff because of whatever they're promoting reels over photos and things. And I'm just like, none of these apps are meant to really promote us. You know, they're all, they have their own bottom line. Mm -hmm. So it cannot be a means to sustaining, you know, lifestyles, livelihoods. So I try to take that pressure off from using it and really use it as like a resource for mm -hmm finding out where restaurants or places to, yep. you know, travel or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, because it's always, like, the target is always shifting, you know, in terms of totally what it's agree. valuing. Totally agree. Um, but I think there is something about, like, the sort of, I don't even call it mindless, because if you are really intentional, like, you use these apps for a reason. They, mm -hmm. they give you some kind of joy or information. So I don't think, writ large, like, social media is evil i definitely know there are parts of that um but i feel like it's just a huge like amalgamation of, of resources and, and things and staying connected and that's what i try to tap into your point with um checking your own page because you just enjoy like mm -hmm. the work that you have created so many people all day long clicking through your own instagram story that you just posted because yeah. it brings you joy you know it's and you happy. like to right. share <laughs> It's yeah, I mean, going back through, I mean, it's the whole reason I take so many photos when I'm exactly. dining and having experiences with friends and stuff is because even just in your photo album, similarly, Instagram is like the greatest hits, but 
when you when you scroll yeah. back like now that you know we're in october and it's going to start cooling down up here in the north we'll be able to recount all of the fun times that we had we can't be like man summer was so fast because bullshit scroll through your photos exactly see, see just how much summer you actually had exactly mm-hmm. yeah I love that. I also think you you hit on it. I think it's really Im- important to make sure you have to frame it in your mind as you're using social media to get something from social media yeah. and not let it be the other way around. Because all of the people that I know that have had poor experiences with social media or friends of mine who are concerned about whether it's their partner, their siblings, or their kids, it's because they're living through social mm-hmm. media. And as long as you remind yourself that that's a private business trying to make money off of you. I will use it in every way that I can to get what I want from it, but it can't ever be that I'm sucked into it. Yeah. Like you don't live on social media, you know, it's a place that you engage with for friends, for resources, for information, for business and all that stuff. But, um, there, there has to be that sort of retention of self and an understanding of like, Not everyone has a healthy relationship with social media, Absolutely but not, you know, yeah. hopefully people try to remain cognizant of it, especially as it becomes more an integral part of our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. Very much, yeah. Should we cheers to that shit? Yeah, I'm excited to drink this. Looks like Jägermeister. That's kind of weird. Oh, <laughs> oh. See what I mean about that being the a plum? Yeah, the plum is right there. Mm. I mean, that's just, again, like similar in in how it's put together, but just wildly different on the expression. I um, want that on Christmas Eve. Yes, I'm ma'am. Listen, like, I'm licking my lips like I just had. Sugar plums dancing in my mouth. Yes. That's it. This is it. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's I very sexy. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now I'm I'm just pondering like this with a dessert on like it's a like gluttonous dense. holiday night. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. A little prime rib dinner and... Yes. Yeah. Some, some mashers, and then after dinner, watching some snowflakes cascade outside your window, sipping on this stuff. This Can't is think. legitimately what the next question is. This oh, is perfect. You 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 intro it, it so well. Oh boy. So I'm a big believer that um, my enjoyment of a, a dish or my enjoyment of a drink could change with the setting mm. that I'm in. Is there a place where? Like you've had X dish a number of times, but it just tastes better here. Yeah. Or that you've had a drink and it's fine. You could you. It's great, but it's just better when you're here. Yeah. What What would that What would that be for you? Ooh, for sure. Like, oh my gosh, I'm thinking about my grandmother's, my grandparents' farm in Virginia, Southern Virginia, mm. Lunenburg County. It is like remote as all get out, and it's the it's a beautiful brick red house, and I am thinking about my grandmother's. Um, she calls barrel rolls. It's like a berry pie essentially. Um, everything made from scratch. They're picking the berries right outside on their farm. Um, is this in the like the rolling hills portion of Virginia? Or is this in like the flat? This is in the flat Kay. part. Yes, and it is. I am. I see the. This like linoleum tile or <laughs> linoleum floor, um, this old wood table where the material is like peeling back. But I'm looking out at their acre. They have 23 acres. It's ridiculous how much land they have. And I'm sitting there. She's bringing in this steaming barrel roll pie, and just looking out over the incredible landscape of Southern Virginia, eating this pie like that 
is my my happy place. I yes. would. She taught me to make this recipe. I'm seeing the sun. She dried all her clothes outside. So outside the same window, you have white towels and her her linen robe just blowing in the wind. And this pie is everything. Like it is it is summer, um, but I would have that year round. But that's yeah. like my. I haven't had that dish outside of her home. Mm. It has to be there. It mm. has to be there. Um, oh, gosh, that took Tremendous. me back. It's been years since I yeah. have done that because she hasn't, she's been losing her eyesight and just mobility, so it's been really tough to uh. um, make dishes with her. But that is my dish for sure. And then for a drink, hmm, that's a great question too. I'm thinking of like, one of my favorite places, uh, I'm thinking of like a Moscow Mule, honestly. Mm-hmm. Or, or no, I'm thinking of a hot toddy. Okay. Like, I'm thinking of a hot toddy. I like toddy. it, I like it. And that is definitely on my friend's, she has this beautiful balcony where in the winter we just kind of like sit, it's like a three-season porch kind of style balcony, and we sit out there and we have hot toddies, and it's just this great mm-hmm. view of the lake, sipping this incredible drink, um, under a blanket, I always have to have a blanket or a cardigan or something with me. But that's it for me. I love warm drinks. I'm a, you know how some things, I don't know if you all um, have studied or heard of like human design and stuff and different like ajanas. But for me, it's it's warm things. The soup, going back sure. to soup, mm. hot toddies. I love warm, frothy kind of things. And You're in luck because they're growing in prominence in the last year. I know. Literally, mm-hmm. like the last year, hot drink. It's been hot drinks have really taken over. I've been loving it. This winter's to be gonna honest. be fun. I think. I can't wait. The hot drink menus. I cannot wait to see you know what restaurants come up with. So. Give it to me. Yeah. Absolutely. Charles, what about you? We've discussed this in some different ways, and I told Ben earlier today. I'm gonna say Lebanon again, aren't I? So, but I'm gonna I'm gonna sidestep it. That's, you know, either getting knefe at Say Sweet or, like, my aunt making me fresh grilled medium rare lamb on her coals in the back of a restaurant as one of the first meals I have when I arrive. I've mentioned that in the past. I've also, and I had a conversation last weekend with Nathan back again, third time bringing him up, popular guy. Hot diggity dog. We were talking about uh, my trip to Chile in 2015, and I've discussed on the podcast, like, those fucking limes that they have in South America that we can't access here makes their ceviche entirely different. Mm -hmm. But with this trip to uh, New York being planned currently and me making my first reservation today, that brought to mind like, oh, well, one of the finest examples. And I I usually am anti people saying, oh, this only tastes this way in this particular locale because Mm. most of the time it's incorrect. But New York style pizza, Mm -hmm. like you can get pizza in new york from a new york style pizzeria almost any of them it's going to be pretty good to great yep and it's a very specific type of pizza it just hits different and if i had to pick my favorite kind of pizza like style of pizza it's new york style pizza and for the many times that i've had a new york style pizza outside of new york and i haven't had it that many places because I'm actually very leery of it now there's only one place I've ever had it that I found it even close to as satisfying as I do in New York City. It was in Denver of all fucking places. But when I'm in New York, that's definitely, that's why you got to buy yourself some extra meals. Because like on my last trip last December, I had to, 
walk over to Scar's Pizza. It's one of my favorites. And just grab a slice because it's easy to do. Just grab a slice. And I got a slice of pepperoni, jalapeno, hot honey. And it's just banging. Mm. Like the crust is just, there's that like inexplicable crustiness, like crispiness on the bottom that's still fully pliable because mm-hmm. the whole thing's pliable, but the yeah. bottom has like, there's a good shoot of the crust, but the bottom has like that little bit of crisp. It's almost like the snap of a old fashioned wiener. Like somehow <laughs> it's crispy, but mm-hmm. just a little bit on the very bottom. Yes, it's greasy. Part of the reason you fold it, you let some of that run out onto the plate off the backside, but it's just super satisfying, oozy cheese, great toppings, and it's like also um, a child's idea of what pizza is supposed to be. Like it's like the cartoon king drums, uh, uh, turkey drumstick. Yep. Yeah. But <laughs> that is a lie because turkey drumsticks are bullshit, and they don't look or taste anything like the satisfaction the king is clearly deriving from it. But however, cartoon pizza, pizza, pizza. When you watch a cartoon mm-hmm. character eat a piece of pizza, it always looks like a New York slice. Uh-huh. It's a big old slice and they snap it off yes. and, go, and their teeth are in it. That's that pizza. But in real life, you can have it. It's in New York City. <laughs> I think the key, and maybe you'll agree with me on this, and uh, I don't know your eating habits, so I'm not going to try and throw you in on this. Okay. But <clears throat> the key with New York pizza for me is it can never be the meal. I use New York pizza the way that when I'm telling a story, I'll use the word fucking. Where I'm like, and then we were like, okay, so we went, fucking um oh yeah we went to this place and we took this train that fucking pause that's where we have the sliced pizza pizza. because you start at one spot and then you're telling a story about another spot Mm. the pizza is the the halfway pause it comes with a comma on either end and this is just a snack to almost almost it satiates a little bit of appetite and it wets a little bit of appetite yeah and then that's my one slice for that day and then I go on about my yeah, things. You don't have to have make your meal. No. I mean, the day I had scars on my last trip, I had that big old slice of scars. And then on the way back, I bumped into Smashed, which is a smashed burger place. It's the best smashed burgers in mm. New York City. And I Bold. grabbed a double from them. And then I knew I had dinner that evening at Masa. But it was early enough that I knew big old slice of pizza, double smashy boy. Just keep walking. Get back to the, yep. That's just it. walk back, got to the hotel. And then I was like, don't eat anything. You got sushi tonight. And I was fine. Yep. It's like, yeah. all right. It's like that in between up. kind of, you know, just like a sort of a fun bite, but yeah. it's not like yeah. meal. We're it's not a, going out for. It's a transitive that. food from one place yes. to the next. <laughs> yeah. I w- there's a woman, because you were talking about the pizza, sort of that cartoon style pizza. <laughs> going back to TikTok, she recreates um, recipes from like movies or Disney movies. Oh and yeah, stuff. like Studio Ghibli stuff. Yeah, like that and when you eat. see how much work goes into really trying to get that cheese, you mm-hmm. know, that really <laughs> just like is is coming down slowly, and the pepperonis and stuff. I was like, yeah, there's, it's a good visual, you know, in your mind from the movies, but it takes a lot of work to really achieve that effect. Absolutely, but it looked amazing. Is there a beverage that you'd uh, associate with any of that? Or oh sure, I mean. It, I didn't know that we were going to talk about that, but, you know, we sometimes have to think about this on the fly as well. Speaking of those limes, Pisco Sour yeah. in in Santiago, it's just, it hits different. It's a different drink. It's those fucking limes. Mm-hmm. They're making them in the pitcher with the Pisco and the egg white and, and the whole shebang. And then it it's just that, those limes that they have that are of a different genus than the limes that we have in our grocery store which are garbage compared mm. comparatively 
those pisco sours i mean we were beer judging and all we were drinking is wine and pisco sours <laughs> literally it. wine pisco sours wine and pisco sours we judge beer all day and then we drink wine and pisco sours all night the beer's the work the pisco is the fun yeah that's right. <laughs> <laughs> for me uh the the thing that made me think about this was uh as charles referenced i was just in in la last week and uh the first meal that i had uh, we found Leo's taco truck in the parking lot of a gas station mm. and they brag about having the best Al Pastor in all of LA. And I, I didn't have the rest of the Al Pastors in LA, but uh, I've had yeah. a lot of Al Pastor mm. in a lot of different cities. Yeah. And I will say that that was the best I've ever had. Nice. And it came out like I watched him shave it off the rotisserie and then he hit it with some hand chopped, uh, pineapple and cilantro and then folded it up in a tinfoil packet for me, handed it to me with mm. three things of hot sauce, an avocado salsa, a rojo salsa. Sorry, what was the tortilla? Was it arabe or was it a... It was a corn tortilla. It was corn tortilla. Yep. Okay. Um, and then like we looked around and it's gas station and car wash. And there were somebody had just put like single plank benches in a square around one table in the middle. And I sat there in the California sun... And I smashed those tacos and it just tasted different. It was the smell of the soap coming out of the car wash and the <laughs> fact that, that Nick and I were the only two English speakers in the entire line and the people that were driving in and trying to figure out like, are you coming for tacos? Are you mm. coming for gas? Are you coming Wait, so for you, car wash? So you had to sit outside? Yeah, it's just, it's of, literally yeah, a truck. Cool. Yeah. It's just a, a, a truck right there. Ah, and yeah, yeah. It, 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 it was just better. And I kept thinking about like, even if I could make this at home mm -hmm. and I could be in my PJs with my feet up on the bed and my wife and I smashing tacos side by side, it still tastes better. When you said there was something about like the exhaust from the taco truck and the smell yeah. of this, like all of it together. I don't know. It just, it made it better because it was like, this is what I came here for is to smash that. And I would say, honestly, so I say that sentence was funny until you added tacos yes, on the end. Yes. Did you notice what you said? I did. Okay. <laughs> As it came out, you're like, well, we're just going to go with it. Um, I had to chuckle a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you uh, But then my beverage is honestly, it's the same, but for the opposite reason. Yeah. There is a drink that I only consume at my cabin with my in-laws oh. because my father-in-law is the only one who has these ingredients in his house. But it is a wild cherry Pepsi and Captain Morgan spiced rum, neither of which I would ever what? consume. I know it was his That's something someone would have handed me in high school. Correct. <laughs> and it was always okay, it we're was, drinking wild cherry Pepsi. It was like Captain a year Morgan. or two of me making fun of him for, oh my God, for that drinking this. So bad because I think that Captain Morgan tastes like green olives. If you put the two together, it tastes like Dr Pepper. It tastes <laughs> just like Dr Pepper. Okay, I can really? see that. Yeah, I can Ooh. see the, the okay, wild cherry yep. and the olive. Well, and there's like a, there's a weird vanilla note in there. Like uh, to me, it, that's what Dr. Pepper tastes like to me. And, uh, so this is the cabin drink of choice. Is that kind of how No, the Moscow Mule is the cabin drink of choice, mm. but, uh, he used to drink. That was the only alcoholic beverage he would have. Really? And when I first became a member of the family, him and, and my mother, he and my mother-in-law would maybe have like a drink in the whole like weekend we were up there. And now they've kind of started partially retiring and, you know, we got cocktail hour and that happens a little bit more. And yeah. one night, everyone else had gone to bed and we were watching Sunday night football. Or maybe it was Saturday night because it was like playoffs, but whatever. We were the only two. And he's like, 
I'm going to go make a cocktail. Do you want one? And that's a sentence that he had never said before because I don't think he ever wanted to like offer me one of those. And I, wow. I got up like I was going to make something else for myself. And I was like, you know what? Actually, like I was crushing some, I think I had like some Fritos or something very salty. And I was like, something kind of sweet sounds good. So I made one. That mm. now I will have one every single time I go to the cabin. It's usually just one because then it gets one's too enough. sweet. Yep. One's enough. Yeah. <laughs> but I have, I have had it one time not at the cabin and it tastes awful. But there's something about it unlocks in my brain that moment when you time know place. Time place. your phone is off. Exactly. You don't have anything to do. You don't have anything to do tomorrow except just exist around your family and a bunch of people that love you. You know if you're up there and the whole family's there, it's going to be surrounded by food. And the few times that we've been up there without them, we're still surrounded by food and good friends because I'm cooking usually. And it's, it's like as soon as it hits my lips, that's the symbol of like there's nothing to do but just exist here and we'll pretend that this will last a lot longer than it will. And I think that that's something that I want to try this winter and bring into my life a little bit more is like – I, we're big fans of soup in our household yeah. as well. And I've, I'm trying to bring that in more of like thinking about the process of making this broth was really fun. And I made it taste like this this time because I was hoping to express that. And now I'm going to put a little tare in the bottom of the bowl and we're going to make a show you ramen mm. and like really try and think through the whole process and say, this is how I combat the negative 20 degrees and the snow outside is this thoughtful bowl of soup. And I'm, I'm going to try and see if I can have a couple more of those things just, like, be my flagpoles for it's going to be all right. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to get warm again. That. I just love how there's so much, like, the openness, you know, that you have when going to this cabin space. Like you said, your phone is off. Yeah. There, it's just quiet. I'm going to read a book. Like, my dog has adopted the ottoman on the couch as her <laughs> bed. Yeah. So she just, like, spreads out and passes out. So she's done. It's the only yeah, time yeah. when my wife goes to bed that she'll stay with me because those two are like Velcro. Mm. And I love that. Like, yeah. it's just at the cabin. She'll hang with me yeah. for another hour or two. And then I just have my feet up. I listen to like, if I don't, if there's not a game on, it's like passive TV because I don't have that. Like, I don't have cable or anything. So I'll just put on like the sounds of Sports Center or even MTV late at night Ooh. still sometimes plays videos. Right. Yep. What? It's it's in between the two four hour blocks of ridiculousness. Oh, but there's okay. like a little there's yeah. a little chunk. VH1 same thing. There's a little chunk oh, okay. where you'll get some music videos. Between, it's like, between the two uh, eleven hour blocks, <laughs> yes, <of> ridiculousness is <laughs> two hours of music videos. Well, there's got to be some like fuckboy island or some other bullshit that you they know, have on. It's so funny because I was gonna say, is it actual ridiculousness or is it that show? They have a show called Ridiculousness. No, no, it's yes. They it's, did. Uh, <laughs> I was clicking through the channels. This is the last time I was literally in the cabin. always on. I was clicking Ooh, through the channels, and you know, it gives you that like four hour preview. Mm -hmm. The entire thing was half an hour blocks of ridiculousness. Oh my gosh. I was like, okay, I guess that's just as Labor Day weekend. Rob, like, Rob your deck can't pay it, I guess. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> doing, so, yeah. doing kick flips on all our TVs. Just scorpioning. <laughs> scorpioning. Well, shit. Let's go. Cheers. Cheers. The final shot. Plink. Ooh. Topic number six. Mm. Gosh, that's good. 
We, we are collecting beverages on this program that are very like holiday worthy. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm making notes. I'm going to take pictures. Yeah, we've earmarked a few recently. It feels like, and we do always. Fantastic. Maybe we're starting to spin forward and think of like yes. that time of year uh -huh. a little more. It's it's upon us. It's already. Here. I'm already thinking about what I'm going to make for Thanksgiving. Really, garam masala cheesecake. Yes. Oh. Oh. What's the address? Like, what's the <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we're not sure yet because we got to figure out if we're going to be at the cabin or not. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Unfortunately, out of any of that my, my in-laws' uh, other home is in Fort Myers Beach, which is in complete oh. disarray right now. So they're down uh, there. So we don't, we don't know what's going to happen okay. with, if they're going to come back for sure. Thanksgiving or not or what's going to be going on. So We'll hope all is well there yeah. for yes. them. And, and for everybody affected down there and, and in Puerto Rico. It's, it's, yes. it's just brutal. Yes. It really any, is. any of our... Uh, listeners that we may have in those areas we're thinking of you all okay let's talk about waste and reusability there we go Ooh. what's your philosophy on say uh someone wanting to get rid of an ikea chair mm -hmm. or something from maybe blue dot for instance or wanting to like ditch their old blender for a vitamix mm -hmm. uh, what about someone considering a chair simply um because it has a different look so would you consider, would you ask them to consider uh, reupholstering it or just balance that with uh, acquiring something new altogether? Yeah. I'm always in favor of the option of repurposing, conserving, mm -hmm. if possible. Um, you know, once you've assessed, the, the times where I'm really like kind of getting rid of the wood is when it's warped, it's cracked, it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's just eaten away. It's no good. Because everything else is cosmetic, honestly. Mm -hmm. sure. And with IKEA, now that they have, um, they've implemented a program, essentially, where they will take a lot of the dis discarded IKEA mm -hmm. furniture that you see along the streets or wherever, and they will repurpose and recycle that. Because really? So, yes. And they're kind of, I mean, great job on them on getting on that, but they are really behind when it comes to furniture recycling and sustainability. Um, they were very much a part of like the upcycling trend, which is good, but it doesn't really manage waste in, yep. the, in the same, you know, mass that Ikea is accumulating. They produce so much furniture and a lot of it is out on the street. It's in landfills. And so now they have a program where you can actually bring it in, recycle it, um, and they can repurpose it. Or they'll, in some cases, give it to um, other businesses even to do something with, which I really appreciate. Mm. But if it's something where you're like, it doesn't, you know, it's not that it just doesn't suit my home, but really it is taking up space. Those are things where I'm like, recycle, donate it. There's so many different apps, businesses that will take your furniture, no questions asked, repurpose, all that stuff. Um, I, when, I have a lot of clients who ask me, when do I reupholster something versus when, you know, just kind of let it go or buy a new piece. If the interior is really just shot to hell. The the foam is all crumbly. It smells. It's damp. It was outside in the rain. Things that just, you know, it, the integrity of the piece itself is yeah. really damaged. I'm all about getting something new. You know, it, it doesn't have to be where, like, every piece of furniture has to be salvaged and repurposed. Because sure. I think that also feeds into this sense of guilt. People are holding on to stuff they don't need. And that, too, is is waste, even if it's not on the street. So if it is if it's kind of like out of your budget financially to re reupholster something, because upholstery can be expensive. It can be mm -hmm. um, a, a very lab laborious, I guess. Mm -hmm. I would say where you are able to recycle, donate, 
you can find lots of really good deals on on furniture, but sustainability has been such a big, an even bigger push for me, um, because furniture waste probably rivals, if not completely, you know, outshines waste in the fashion industry. Yeah, you know, the textile industry is the largest industry where things go to waste, and they could be repurposed w- without question in many cases. Plastics too. Um, and I, I feel like there's just so few resources that people have access to in some cases yeah. or know about yeah. Yeah. where they can repurpose things. And so a bit of it is um, local governments just informing people a lot better about where they can recycle stuff. I mean, a lot cities honestly make it really difficult for people mm-hmm. to get rid of things. Mm-hmm. My partner and I were trying to get rid of a dresser or a TV, and you had to make an appointment. You had to weigh all these things. Um, you had to get just pay ridiculous rates to get rid of something. And so those barriers, I feel like, could absolutely be lowered for folks. But um, I hope that answered. I was doing a lot of talking about sustainability. No, that's right There's so much to kind of touch on with it. But I think people feel a lot of guilt around it too, which is something that I honestly have been working with a a partner to um, shine a little more light around that because – People just don't know sometimes where to take their furniture other than leave it on the street, other than put it on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist. And there's lots right. of other resources for that. IKEA is such an interesting case because they've been on both sides of the sustainability fight for as long as I've been aware of them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they were also the first company internationally that I saw that was doing flat packing to reduce mm-hmm. like box size and all that. But then as things started shipping more and weather became more of a problem, then you ended up involving a whole lot more plastic within the packaging. Exactly. So now everything has a plastic bag inside of exactly. it. And then you have to figure out like, well, where are you on that? Yeah. Like, <clears throat> I mean, um, when I, when I moved to Norway in 99, like they offered a free bus service with an, I think it was an electric bus back then that would bring you out there so that they didn't have individual cars all driving out there. Mm-hmm. It would it would leave on the hour and come back on the half hour. And you could just go out there and buy whatever you wanted. Mm. And it was like a like an airport bus. So it had the giant luggage racks. And you could load it up and then bring you know stuff to your apartment. So for me, not having a car, yeah. that was really yeah. important to me. And having free transit, mass transit, and also then having flat packing so that I could bring everything with me. Exactly. was like That was huge for my life. But then... You look at, like, well, that leads to this diaspora of problems. It's like, well, shit. <laughs> no, but that's one of those barriers, too, where you're mentioning about um, just with local governments or with different cities, you know, people don't have cars sometimes. Where mm-hmm. are they supposed to go to get rid of some of this furniture? So, of course, it's just going to be left around. Mm-hmm. And if we had more stations, kind of like what we do with clothing, you know, you have those blue bins or something where you can donate clothes. I would hope there's more space to people for people to offload furniture, especially as we are every year repurposing, refreshing our homes. Folks are always acquiring and accumulating things and, and therefore getting rid of other things. Um, there's so few entry points to just recycle and repurpose that stuff. And a lot of businesses have, you know, long forms, understandably, before they will take anything. But it's just too much to me, anyway, too much red tape. Well, and think if, if, if technology just as a whole is a barrier to you. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about Charles's right. uh, DVD and grandparents question, but like there are people who like just the idea of getting online mm-hmm. is something that is either foreign to them or not possible. Mm-hmm. Well, where else are you going to find that information? You know, the, there aren't town 
papers or newsletters really anymore unless they're yeah. online. And unless your neighbors happen to know something, like trying to right. figure out where you're going to get that information from is frightening. That's why I feel like people need those visible markers mm-hmm. in many cases to see that because it's, if, if you don't know that it exists there, you're like, oh, I wouldn't even thought that I could drop this and donate it somewhere and there's a pickup time. Just like mail, honestly, mm-hmm. you know? So that's what I'm, I'm, I, I'm thinking about this a lot and trying to figure out what are some solutions about that. So sure. it's... Um, takes more of the guesswork out for people like the sure. steps for people to be able to donate their furniture um and then in terms of like upholstering versus buying new stuff there's nothing wrong with buying new things it's more so we are that um the ratio of buying versus recycling is just blown out of proportion and so we don't have enough places to recycle the, st- the stuff that we are mm-hmm. as we're buying new things that needs to change. I, I think, you know, this is coming from a place of, of, of privilege, but the, the move for my partner and I has been to buy nicer things that we can fix. Mm-hmm. And that, we, you know, cause cheap electronics, great example. Like you can't fix it. Like when it breaks, it's just dead. And then all of that just goes to waste. Whereas if you spend a little bit more money on something that's handmade, then if something does crack or break or fall apart, yeah. there is a chance that you can do that. So it's been realizing that spending more money on the front end allows me to spend less money or have less waste on the back end. Exactly. But that, that sentence is so loaded with, well, yeah, but where are you coming from? Exactly. You know, and that's the tough part is trying to figure out how to make what, whatever my answer would be like accessible to everybody because it isn't. You know, like even just thinking about how differently my life would change if my wife and I weren't together, mm-hmm. like me as a single person in the same house that we live in, it, it's not, it's a small house. So it wouldn't seem that weird size wise, but holy shit, it gets a yeah. whole lot more expensive and it cuts out a whole lot more than I could do. And I'm still on the higher end of the privilege spectrum when you look at just average, average income. So trying to factor that in is always tough. I will forever drive my wife crazy because anything that I want to get rid of, if it works, I will try and find a home for it. Yeah. I want to know that, hey, maybe this just stops somebody else from buying something new or maybe they want to try it out and see if it works for them and then we go there. I do that a lot with my cookware as we've been upgrading that. Sure. Um, as a large gentleman, uh, if you've ever been to a vintage clothing shop, uh, Tall people and uh, fat people didn't exist ever uh, until really in the last few years. Yeah, because never. we're <laughs> never. If you look at if you look at any rack anywhere, there are there just aren't tall, large clothes because people in my end of the size bracket keep the stuff that they have if it fits. You know, like I always giggle going to museums and stuff because they're like, "This is all just very small humans." So it's nice because I can send clothing out to other big guys. Sure. And I do love that. I love the fact that I could honestly go out on just about any Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, and I could tell you which restaurants somebody was wearing something that I once owned. And that makes me happy because it's good stuff. It's just either my size fluctuated or my styles fluctuated yeah. or I don't need all this anymore. And I like that aspect of it. Uh, but like when it comes to furniture, like we just, I guess we just don't swap out that much stuff. Yeah. But even our dining room table, like uh, my wife made our last dining room table. And unfortunately the way that we had done the legs 
after a few years, they just started to get a little loose. And we had, uh, we had brought the wood in and, you know, it's just started to warp a little bit, but we didn't want to get rid of it because she worked so hard on it and she made it with her two hands and stained it all herself. So that became the topper for a desk that we put in the basement. And we, you know, we used the legs for firewood and then everything else that that's where that went. And I love that because I still have pride when I look at that. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, hell yeah, there it is. That's it. It's like with, with many things, obviously that you make with your hand, there is that super personal connection you have where it's, I made this thing. I created this, I sewed it, I I put it together. And I think in some cases that's why it is harder for people to part with the things they have. And to your point, like there is, there's so many conversations about like privilege when it comes Mm -hmm. to acquiring furniture, even getting rid of furniture, you know, there's, there's lots of um, barrier points to that. You were talking about, and this kind of goes to sustainable fashion, I guess, just with going into a, a vintage shop. You mm-hmm. know, I was having a conversation. It was a panel a short time ago about um, within sustainable fashion. Even there's such a conversation of like buy from independent designers, which is great, but a lot of people who are larger are like, but the so- we don't. You're not making clothing in that size mm-hmm. because the fabric is costing more, and there's just so little inventory. Yep. But then there's also the judgment of you're not shopping, you know, small or local or independent. But the clothing doesn't come in your size. So what what right. options do you have? Yep. You know, and the same thing with with furniture. It is it can be super expensive, as we know. How do you expect people to have access to handmade local, you know, furniture? Um, that was made with love, a lot of time and detail, and made to last a long time. But you're pricing it, you know, four thousand dollars or whatever it is. Like there's, there's so many complicated conversations around that and who has access to furniture. Um, and then there's also a lot of conversation around when you get rid of furniture too, that you're, that is seen as like unique or valuable, that you're somehow wasting. And I'm, I, I have a lot of feelings around around judging people's just shopping choices in general um, because those are very personal decisions. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah. There's lots of, I guess what do I want to include in my life, in my home? I mean, is there yeah. a more personal decision than that, you know? And I think that it, it always does lead to important conversations. And then what does, how do we define a home? And, and all of that goes from there. But I, I don't know. I think at the bare minimum, if we acknowledge that these all need to be a part of the conversation, absolutely, that's that's how we move forward. But like, like Charles, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, the you know the easy and complicated answer all in one is you know buy things, buy good things that will last. But the problem is that they're much more costly. Mm-hmm. So we're not just talking about furniture; we're talking about clothing mm-hmm. and cookware and mm-hmm. just about everything you can put in your home that could be. The easy answer, but unfortunately, those things are less accessible to everyday people. In my, in terms of my own life, every every step of my my maturation and and my success, and again, this is a matter of privilege as well, um, a matter of privilege rather. Each time I reach a tier in my life where I can access those better made things so that I have things for myself that last, that prior tier of my life, I take the objects and apparel, cookware and furniture that I was able to access 
in that stage of my life and I found if I knew homes for those things. Yeah. So in the instance of our kitchen, cookware, outdoor cookware, all those things, I'm frequently efforting to have better quality cookware that's going to last longer with the idea that eventually I'll have pieces that will last not just my lifetime, but possibly multiple lifetimes for whomever they should go to once I expire. But what will happen in these instances is I'll acquire, for instance, like a new cast iron pan and um, I will almost always ask my neighbor Jack, do you, do you have one of these things? That's the important first question. So I forget the last thing that I gave him that he was like, actually, I do not. It might have been a blender or something when I got a new Vitamix. Jack, do you have a blender? I do not. Would you like a blender? Absolutely. And then now someone who did not have a blender that they now need to throw away or recycle has this blender that needed a new home. And I have a blender that will, in theory, last a very long time. So that's my methodology for maintaining mm -hmm. the sort of prosperity mm -hmm. of this cycle and to be environmentally friendly when it comes to apparel. Donating it is always great, especially if you donate it to the appropriate uh, places so that it can be given to people who could use it mm -hmm. um, and would be able to cheaply access it, and then it doesn't end up in a landfill. Mm -hmm. That's great. Furniture, uh, I don't really move through a, a ton of furniture. Yeah. Um, when you asked the question earlier about minimalism or maximalism, I think I'm a minimal minimalist. Minimal <laughs> because... I like to furnish uh, lightly and minimally, and then as months and years go by, see if there's anything you want to fill in. Because mm -hmm. if you're more thoughtful about it, then you don't overload or like um, make bad design choices because you're just like, fill it all up. Right. Mm -hmm. But because of that, we don't add things that we later regret adding. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't do a lot of that. But when I move from my last residence for Marnie and myself to move in together I did get rid of all my furniture it's all very dark and mm. you know I used to as aforementioned I used to do a lot of like flat colored dark stuff and in the instance of all the furniture that I had I put on an APB on social media and said who needs this thing that thing and I had a series of different friends say like oh my daughter just moved out she mm -hmm. needs a bed took my bed friend who said that couch could go in my den that rug would be great in my basement and then it just kind of piecemealed itself mm -hmm. out the door and i didn't end up having to throw away any furniture which is nice yeah like that's kind of the goal yeah oh great is all this stuff went to another home right. since then i don't think we've thrown out a single piece of furniture since we've lived in our place for five or six years it's also should be said that that's also like a different form of of privilege that you have a network that large where it can absorb that. And I, I have to True. remind myself of mm -hmm. that all the time. Um, I'm constantly reminded at, at how many people only have a couple people in their lives, mm -hmm. you know, and after they ask those two or three people, right. that, that's it. Yeah. And that's something else where like <laughs> I can crowdsource clearing things out because there are that many people, but that's also a, 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 a you have the network. It's a yeah. rare thing. Sure. Especially in, in today's world, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of wild to think about that as another form of it, but it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. It all fits into the same 
really long discussions. Yeah. <laughs> How do we exist within the parameters of the society that we've built and still trying to find a way to be responsible about existing in it? Small, small question, Pat. Small question. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> well, we solved that. That's the end of it. Um, Done deal. To bring it back on, on like uh, a more inspiring and optimistic note, um, wh- where would you prefer people to find the work that you're doing? Mm. I, I would I love for my work to be out in the world. Mm-hmm. I feel like in stores, in, in markets, in pop-up shops, um, even like, you know, museum spaces, I, I always just react differently when I can really engage with work, sit in it. I've noticed I had a, um, it was Art World this year in May. It was my first one that I attended. And I had a bunch of chairs out there and people were so hesitant to like sit on anything. They were very much like, can we sit on this? Yeah. And I'm like, yes, this is yeah, literally what it's here for, <laughs> you know? And I, on one hand, you appreciate that people really admire what you have created, but my intention is always for it to be engaged with and in a really physical kind of way because the work, is to be beautiful but really functional and practical as well. Sure. And so um, whether the work is like in a hotel, it's in a, a lobby, it's in a uh, someone's home, I love doing heirloom pieces Ooh. because oh, there's just so much of the storytelling and it's it's super personal. But when clients send me photos of like their cats or their kids, you know, sitting on this piece of furniture, I'm like, yes. That's <laughs> awesome. You know, that's, that's how you continue the lifespan and the lineage of this piece of furniture. Um, I love photos and posting them on Instagram, but there's such a disconnect there with it being a, a tactile object. So. so you were saying at the beginning of the show that World Market mm-hmm. uh, had, had, had become a partner. Yeah. Is that somewhere, like if they went to a World Market, could they... Yeah. You have your pieces there oh, like, absolutely. where they can interact with it, not just on the, yeah, the no, website? Yeah, no. They are in all 200 stores across the country. In fact, there was a really amazing uh, couple who emailed me last weekend. There's this ottoman that I made. It's got a sort of green leaf foliage top, and then the, the side is a black and cream kind of spiral uh, print. And it's it sold out all over the place, but it's in a couple of stores across the country. And this couple said... We had we called literally every store in this country to see where this ottoman was. Yeah, and there was one that had it, and it was an hour away from us. So we drove out oh, to get this that's ottoman. That's amazing. So and I was just me. like, oh, I could have cried hearing that because you, that is exactly not them driving, having to drive out of their way, but putting your hands on it, being able to sit on it, really engage with all the different parts and the, the functions and you know the design of the piece is what I really really love, and just for it to resonate with folks means everything. But yes, people can go to the stores. I think there's there's one design that is unsold out. Um, and that's still in stores and then everything else is online. Okay. So I hope to have my own showroom at some point. I just have my studio here in northeast uh, Minneapolis. But um, people can come there if they want to. It's appointment only. Just send me a little email and say you want to come through. How would they find you to do that? You can email me at uh, crowder.nicole at gmail, but you can also find me on my Instagram, which is Nicole M, as in Marie Crowder. And I'm on there. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. Oh, my gosh. This has been amazing. The, uh, the design side of things is something that we both care about, and uh, you are the first designer that we've what? had on here. Okay. So it's, it's actually really fun for, for us to, again, we're, we're pushing our boundaries as well. So thank you for helping us 
keep growing as as both humans and as as podcasters. No, this was wonderful. You all gave me some some great questions that really got my brain thinking in a different way. You know, you as a designer, you know, you think to yourself all the time. You're just kind of roiling over the same questions. So. I really appreciate the dialogue here about everything, sustainability, trends, you know, the markets, um, and kind of how you want to position yourself just down the road for continuing to expand the conversation of design across across industries, across fields and disciplines. So thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. I didn't know you were in Northeast Minneapolis. My studio is in okay. Northeast Minneapolis as what? well. Yes, I'm right there at the Casket Arts. So that oh, I love that building. I love Casket that building. Casket Arts is a half block from my mom's house. Stop. I grew up a half block down the street. That's the, very cool. The world is too small. Always my favorite. <laughs> uh, always my favorite building during Art of World. Oh, like I the love most amazing Casket stuff happens in that. They have amazing artists there. Like shout out to Russ White, who is the reason I'm in that building. I, he was the first artist I met when I moved here. I just saw his Instagram and I bought a print from him. And when I met him in the middle of February, I was like, if you know of any studios that are opening, please keep me posted. And two months later, he was messaging me like, we got a space for you. Do you want it? And I was like, Oh, yeah. Nice. yeah. Keep your arms open and, and always be ready for the adventure. That's and it. It'll happen. That's it. Uh, Charles, what about you? Anything you want to throw out there at the end here? We got it all covered. We done got it. Yeah, we got some fun stuff coming up, but we'll get to that. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to give too many sneak peeks. <laughs> we got some some cool stuff ahead. Yes. Uh, as always, we just want to thank you all for for listening and for uh, continuing to follow us. Uh, there are Charles is not being sarcastic or is nor is he being facetious. Like we have a lot of really cool stuff coming up. So again, uh, we just love each and every one of you. Hope you're doing well out there. Uh, if you ever have a question again, that you want us to ask, uh, you can hit either one of us, of us up personally or put it on the, the Insta or the Facebook for the podcast, but we're always down for that as well. So Absolutely. Uh, until next time, take care of yourself and uh, be nice to a stranger. Just cause.